Welcome to the next episode of Ranked. We're here to discuss another arbitrary list and ranking, and this time we're going to be discussing one of the two major films that has come out in the last week or so. Of course, we're here to finally break down Barbenheimer, or at least one part of Barbenheimer, when we are going to be discussing the filmography of our co-star here's favorite director, one of the most beloved directors of all time, truly one of the bigger names in Hollywood currently, and that is Christopher Nolan. And of course, to break down his entire filmography of all 12 films, we have probably his biggest fan that I know of, our, you know, pop topic co-host himself, Tristan. How are you doing today? How excited I am to be ranking a, uh, my favorite director, Christopher Nolan, and his uh, incredible filmography. I think he has a couple, you know, maybe subpar films, but for the most part, I think he puts out hit after hit for the most part. Most of these are, are slam dunk films in my mind. It's hard to say he's made a bad movie. Uh, there's movies right? that, uh, yeah, there's movies I don't love, yeah, but like yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I wouldn't say any of them. Uh, I don't have a single movie of his under three out of five stars. Like, he has, yeah. a, he has a couple of threes, maybe, but like nothing bad definitively for me you know uh christopher nolan for me i know i'm not as big of a fan of him as you are uh but you know i grew up with the dark knight uh, which is pretty much all any millennial or uh gen z kid needs these days it's just you know dark knight that's pretty much all you need to have in your childhood because that was a classic we all grew up with uh and uh, the rest of his movies you know i didn't i wasn't pumped for any christopher nolan movies that came out anytime i did end up throwing one on it was always a good time, right? <laughs> like I, it was, you know, I wasn't ever dreading throwing on a Nolan film, despite most of them being two and a half hours long, uh, which is kind of a testament to his style. Because, you know, even if his movies are a bit of a miss, they are at least something new, at least something interesting. Yeah, which you can't and say. Two and a, exactly, two and a half hour movies in genres that you specifically don't like: comic book movies, sci-fi, and war film. Yet they're all pretty, pretty darn good exactly uh and either they work for me or they don't uh, one thing that i thought was interesting which was totally unintentional i have one film that's a four star it's kind of like the the in-between point kind of like you know the the litmus test the middle section and then i have half of his filmography that's a 4.5 or higher and then i have his other half that's a three to a 3.5 and it's kind of it feels like a very definitive group of there's just some that i don't love or get and then there's just some that i i love it i i totally get it and it's kind of funny how it, like it's not like they're all just fine or they're all kind of in the same group you either just really get into some of them or it's just some of them don't work for you but at least he tried something new uh it's interesting that that seems to be the breakthrough for me where either he tried something and maybe it was a swing and a miss but at least it was a you know at least he swung for the fences right most directors especially nowadays in hollywood they uh kind of just do the bare minimum just to try and get people, you know, get butts in seats. Uh, Nolan, even if he makes something like Tenet, Tenet fails in the box office, uh, at least he tried something crazy, right? And I'll always give him kudos for that. So, you know, I do get the appeal for him. Uh, And you're right, he does genres that aren't really my thing, uh, but he does the best of the things that aren't my thing. So I'll give him, I'll give him that. Yeah, that's the, even if you don't like the movies, you gotta respect them. You know, they're always well done. Whether you personally like it or not, he's, he's very talented, clearly. And they, uh, I like both of his movies. I love his style. I like his editing style. His movies, even though they're long, they're never slow. And there's a difference. 
Yeah, uh, the the big surprise during this binge for me, because I haven't seen like half of his films or even more than half before I was prepared for this really? podcast. I didn't watch any movies for this podcast besides Oppenheimer. I was going to watch any. Yeah. Well, 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 it's because you've seen all of them before, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I literally haven't seen, uh, I think, eight of them. Uh, like, I've only seen four before I was prepared for this podcast. So I'm not, you know, that adverse with Nolan before this. So I was watching a few of these with my wife, and the biggest surprise was she loves them. <laughs> like she, yeah. she became a huge Nolan fan. Uh, you know, I just had a. The, the only issue is she was actually ready to do this podcast, Tristan. She was like, you know what? I might join this podcast because I fucking love Nolan. Yeah, why didn't she? Uh, it's a little thing called Batman. Uh, she's, she's. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I should at least watch any of the Dark Knight trilogy because they are really good and they're not like normal superhero movies. I, I showed her the Dark Knight, and she wasn't a huge fan. She said it was fine. Okay. All right. I mean, yeah. she doesn't like that. I know. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, well, if that didn't get you pumped, I really yeah. cannot convince you to do the other two because there's no debate. They're way worse. So, like, this, yeah, I yeah. Mean, they're not. They're, they're It'll not be a tough sell. I think I can maybe convince her for D- Batman Begins because that's like what two hours, but like Dark Knight I mean, Rises. Dark Knight yeah. Rises will be the toughest sell. Dark Knight Rises. I don't think I could. could would have persuaded her by knowing that it's it, like Batman is not in it at all, really. It's only enough, like fifteen. It's really not even a superhero movie. Think about it. There's no superheroes, really. Yeah, it's yeah. Like fifteen minutes. Ah. That's fair. Maybe I should have had you uh, make the pitch for her. Yeah, maybe that could have done it. I am good at selling things. Yeah, because other than that, uh, she's it. Like, like she is it. She, she has these rated way higher than i do like she is a much bigger fan she loves a lot of his films no i love his style i really do yeah yeah she does as well Uh, she was bummed that she missed out on oppenheimer because she thinks it's gonna be your favorite of the year she uh oh she she didn't see it she should have it's great uh yeah we gotta wait for that again yeah 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 yeah. she made other commitments unfortunately she had a baby shower that she had to go to Uh, how lame she went to go celebrate babies instead of watch Oppenheimer? <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was celebrating life and not death. Come on, get out of here. Come on. So th- that's kind of my feel for Nolan beforehand. Uh, but I know you're a huge fan. How many of these films have you seen? How long ago? Like, I know you binged his filmography, but how long ago was it? So I binged his entire filmography back when I was in like first or second year university. So that would be like 2017 kind of timeline. I just recently watched rewatched the entire Dark Knight trilogy with my dad and my sister. Jada had not seen them before, so it was the first time watching the three of them. Uh, I watched Inception a couple years ago, just recently watched Oppenheimer, watched Memento only a couple years ago, but the rest of them, uh, besides Tenant and Dunkirk, which only came out a few years ago, so Interstellar, Prestige, Insomnia Following, those ones I haven't seen for a while, which may reflect in my ranking of them, but I haven't seen them for a while, because when I watched them the first time, I remember those were good, but they don't hold up to the rest of his films. So uh, yeah, that's why I never really felt the need to go back and rewatch those, where typically the rest of his movies, I do watch every couple of years, the Dark Knight Trilogy, Inception, Memento, even Interstellar, I watch every so often. So uh, um, yeah, but really just besides uh, the ones I have the lower of my rankings, which I'll discuss when we get to those ones, I, I do go back and watch a lot of his films whenever I'm looking for something, something to watch that you know I enjoy. I have two and a half hours to kill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, anything else you wanted to get off the table here, Tristan, before we jump into the worst Nolan film, according to us? Uh, no, I think we've already established that even though this one we're going to talk about is the worst Nolan film, it's still a great movie in general. And it's probably still better than a lot of other people's the, uh, best movies. So, I think Nolan's uh, one of the greatest directors working right now. Uh, for sure, my favorite. Uh, I can't even think of anyone who's going to beat him except maybe Villeneuve. I, I got to rewatch a lot of Villeneuve movies. I haven't seen a lot of Denny Villeneuve. I love him as well. I um, love both their styles, but I'm I'm stoked for for the Nolan ranking here. Let's see, uh, let's see how wrong you are on these ones, Quentin. All right, sounds good. Yeah, let's see how wrong I am. 
however, not for the first movie, because we are on the exact same page. Yeah. Uh, at number 12, uh, it's, well, it's not what you think, Tristan. Uh, at number 12, uh, we have Insomnia, which uh, oh, okay. both of us have this at number 11. So, yeah. you know, we both agree this is the second worst, which makes it unfortunately become the worst uh, for our list here. Uh, and Insomnia is the, literally the last one that I watched. Uh, so, well, sorry, last one I watched uh, for the first time. I saw, I, I rewatched a movie yesterday. Uh, for the first watch for me, I watched Insomnia like a few days ago for the first time. And I'll quickly go here first. I think the biggest issue for me is, aside from Al Pacino, I think like everyone's not really working well in this film. Like either they're not well written or they're just not properly casted. But I thought Al Pacino was really good, which is why I, I think this is a good movie. I gave this a three out of five. I think this is definitely not a, a terrible film like this might seem because it's at the bottom of the list because uh, i think al pacino's great in this I, I think he's a really conflicted character nolan does good with kind of having a bit of a twist and in this case the twist is very early on on the predicament that al pacino is in and how he has to get out of the situation and i thought everything in regards to that was great uh for me it really falls off the edge with unfortunately I, you know I don't want to speak ill of his name because I love the guy, but I, I think Robin Williams uh, was very miscast in this. I, I don't think this is a good Robin Williams casting choice at all. I feel like he's not great at being this evil person, right? Like, you know, if he was somehow able to pull it off, I could see it being really good if they played into the, oh, no one's suspecting him because he's Robin Williams. He's so great and nice and bubbly and everyone loves this guy. And then secretly he's like really sinister. But in the film which I guess I did just spoil uh, a bit of the twist for Insomnia. And I guess we'll make a little caveat here. Any movie on this list, we will be spoiling once we get to it, except it's for... Scott's film yeah, it, it, almost, almost all of them have a twist. Yeah, almost all of them yeah. have a twist. I will want to make sure that people are aware that as soon as we get to Oppenheimer, we will have a spoiler-free discussion and then a spoiler discussion. So if you first yeah, kind of want to I mean, hear our thoughts... It's not a true story, so there aren't really any real stories that's true. on that one. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, to be fair, I knew almost nothing about Oppenheimer. I forgot what his first name was until the movie started. So, you know, uh, some people might not be as adverse to who Oppenheimer is, but we'll have a spoiler-free section to kind of maybe give you some thoughts if you need convincing to see this film. I don't know if you need that convincing if you're sitting down for a nolan discussion here for the podcast yeah. but um <laughs> yeah if you uh, haven't seen it yet we'll do a spoiler free section then discuss the spoilers after yeah. but for any other movie fair game all right like if we get to tenet and you're like oh my god i don't want to know about the time like uh this is you know skip ahead a little bit but yeah i thought robin williams was miscast well what was what was your thoughts on i think film? yeah i think my biggest takeaway here is this is one of those movies where like the product isn't a, a greater than the sum of its parts. You know what I mean? You think like a, a Christopher Nolan film, basically sort of like a murder mystery type thing with Al Pacino, Robin Williams. You think this is going to be like fantastic? And it only ended up being, you know, like, it, yeah, I, I don't remember Robin Williams feeling miscasted, but I do remember feeling, you know, I was expecting more from this movie than I got. The Christopher Nolan murder mystery with Al Pacino, Robin Williams. This, this sounds like it's going to be fantastic. And it ended up only being okay. It wasn't bad. Um, the twist, as we mentioned, was a little early on in the film. It was good, but it was clearly some of Nolan's earlier work. And I, I do feel like if you watch all this filmography, I watched them in order actually when I was in college. I started with his first film. This is like what his second or third film. It's one of his earlier ones. And uh, it, you, you know, you can see him a uh, 
learn from this film and a lot of his other movies and his newer stuff, the editing style and the way the story flows and that kind of stuff. And he, he's learned good lessons from a lot of these films. His earlier stuff are still good, uh, but uh, yeah, he, he's had a lot of room to grow since then. And uh, Insomnia wasn't bad, uh, just more so forgettable and not one I really ever felt a need to go back I've watched this years ago. I never once I ever thought I should watch Insomnia. It, it never had that urge or that itch. It was good, just not great. Like I, I was kind of expecting. A- like the Robin Williams of it all, I just think there's two ways they can do it. Uh, they can have the character that they have, and maybe just have a more darker actor, like a more intense actor that we can believe is acting the way they are. Or if they want to have Robert Williams, which I actually think is a good idea on paper, kind of go like the Gus Fring and Breaking Bad route, where like at the beginning, like he's close with the cops and everyone loves him. And then you kind of start seeing a little bit more of him later on, like have him earlier in the movie, just be like there and no one's suspecting a thing because he's so nice and he's just he's Robin Williams. Uh, I think that could play really well, but they kind of throw him in once they already know he's kind of the bad guy and Al Pacino's on to him. And then at that point, uh, he's just kind of playing it straight. I, I just think they, there's two routes they could have won and they kind of win in between. And I don't know if it was the best choice. Um, but also the the film itself, like you mentioned, it's his least Nolan-y film, which, yes, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, like it doesn't really feel like a Nolan movie. And, you know, as a guy that doesn't love nolan uh, as much as the next guy uh like this is the only one the only movie in this entire filmography that like if you put it on in front of me and i didn't know who the director was beforehand i would guess fincher before i would guess nolan i would guess that's like very you know, that's like, a great way to word it right 100%, <laughs> it doesn't really feel like nolan it doesn't have his signature style by any means it has none of his style even the no. very first film he makes following has much more of his style than this yeah. film it's kind of crazy uh, like i actually I don't believe this is Nolan. I kind of believe Nolan kind of got thrown on, onto this film and like some studio was kind of directing oh, most of it. Yeah, it feels like the studio it, a lot more involved. It's yeah. the only one that's like linear storytelling, which is weird for him. Yeah. You know, it's not, yeah. It's, like, it's not bad by any means, but it's, it's, not, it's not a Nolan film like the rest of his filmography. Is. Yeah, if you're no, a big Nolan fan, insane. you're probably not going to like this one that much, but it doesn't feel like him. No, it really doesn't. So we can move on to number 11 here. And actually, the next four movies we have is a tie. So, Wow, four movies in a row that are tied. We're kind of all over the place here. And actually, you can blame this four-movie tie on myself, because I originally made the list, and we were supposed to record this on Monday. Uh, but then I got really, really sick for like two days. I, I feel like absolute shit. I literally couldn't record. And right when I started feeling better, I thought, you know what? This is my excuse to watch Tenet. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to rewatch that movie, maybe see if that fixes things. And it did. And so it completely messed the list up because I moved it around a bit. And it somehow created a four-way tie. And I thought, well, I just fucked up the list with me changing everything around at the last minute. But here we are, four-way tie. So how we do ties is I give the guests uh, the honor of breaking it so it's whichever order they have it on their list so we're going to be going off of tristan's order here for all four of these movies which putting it at number 11 is uh the film tristan has at the very bottom at number 12 we have following so tristan has this at number 12 i have this at number six so i was uh, a uh i was a lot higher uh not not just you but pretty much everybody seems to hate this movie or at least have it on the bottom uh, i was I very insomnia. i was thinking here i probably should have put insomnia below fall I, I probably should have swapped those two not that i love following i've only seen following once as i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast and this nolan's very first film 
right? His very, very first film. Yeah. Um, and so it's a real indie film. This was, he's probably, you know, young guy, probably just coming out of film school, he made this one. So it's a real indie film, indie budget, feels that way. Not a bad thing by any means, just sort of the style of it. Uh, but it does feel like no one, a lot more than Insomnia does. And it has a pretty, pretty cool plot. Just not one that I, uh, that really, I, I'm struggling to remember what happens really just beyond sort of the, the general premise of it. You know what I mean? And right. it could be because I haven't seen it in years, but where's a lot of the other ones, even some I'm sure we're going to talk about soon here in this four-way tie, I remember a lot more about the twists and turns of the film, um, which typically are the most, the parts that stand out the most for Nolan films are the twists and the turns and everything, the editing style and whatnot. But for the following, I really can't remember uh, yeah, how this one ends or, or where it goes from uh, yeah, the general premise of it. Yeah, I was very impressed with following because this is pretty much the film that's at everyone's number 12 spot on his lists when they do the rankings. Uh, every time I check online and stuff, it's it's always at the bottom. And so I had like the lowest of expectations. And I don't know if maybe that helped bump this up. Uh, maybe it was the nice one hour runtime. It's like a clean hour. It, it's fantastic. Yeah. No movies are an hour anymore. And I also just really liked the premise and the fact, like you said, it's a small budget Nolan film which is pretty rare since he's like yeah, the king budget, of blockbusters. Big budgets. He, he yeah. gets big budgets for sure. Um, and I just, I was really fascinated with this film because if this was any other director, I don't know if I would have liked it as much. I don't know if it would have had as much of that charm. But because it was Nolan, it was so interesting to me watching this film. It was like really learning about a director finding himself. Like it really felt like this, unlike Insomnia, is like, this this might be the most Nolan movie he's made, despite the fact that it's so low budget. And obviously, like I guess Inception technically is like the most Nolan film that's ever been made. But following, it's like the breadcrumbs of everything this guy loves, like time jumps. He like jumps in time to tell a story to keep the audience in the dark with certain things. Does it really change that much to the story? No, not really. But he just loves manipulating time and creating stories. Yeah wrapped around keeping the audience just in the dark just long enough and kind of leaving us a little hints at the end of each scene before they cut to like the next time jump and it's just really fascinating to see a director that makes this and then goes on to memento which is literally just a mastered version of following of using time and manipulating it with a small budget like this film i believe was just him filming with his buddies and they would borrow supplies to have in their scenes in between shots because he had no money. Like he would just borrow like his buddy's bag or something and have that on the set for the scene that he needs. Like he was like, he had no money. Like he was just a dude that really wanted to make movies. And you could tell how fascinating Nolan is making this film. So I was really blown away by just how, how much Nolan this film was. Like this is just everything the guy loves. You see it on the very first film he makes. I just thought it was a really interesting character study on the director himself i think that's why i was so fascinated with it like it was just a one hour version of everything nolan loves time jumps you know keeping the audience in the dark but using the screenplay to kind of give us just enough information to string us along and then of course the big twist he loves big twists and i thought the twist was great uh, like i should have seen it coming because it's kind of obvious but it's just so well constructed with them that it's just really good it's like two twists it's like a double whammy so you first get the reveal spoiler for those that haven't seen the film that the guy that our lead character is following is manipulating him he's tricking him he's uh making him do all these things and he's actually secretly with this girl that the protagonist thinks that he's trying to win over but it's all a trap and that the the, the first twist is that he's getting played by the other guy 
Uh, the protagonist is not the one in power. He's the one that's getting dragged behind and he's scurrying around like a rat without realizing it. And then the big double whammy twist is at the very end, uh, the guy that he was following has gone incognito. He's taken all the money, he's tricked our protagonist, and now our protagonist is fucked. He signed like that credit card, like every little thing that he does in the entire film was just a setup to make him be the fall guy for this mysterious character that we're following. And just the fact that all these little things that happen in this movie all kind of perfectly collapses so well in just a quick one hour runtime. It's smooth, it's quick. This is Nolan just doing it. He's, you know, he's like, you can tell he's just like a film kid that's got like a thousand ideas in his head. He's just throwing it all out on screen in one hour. He's not like soaking it in because he doesn't know how much time he's got to make this movie. He's just making a quick uh, school budget film. And I just thought it was a really cool film for a guy that didn't know if he actually was ever going to make a real movie. And he just wanted to make something because he just loves making films. So I, I thought it was a, a really cool project. Uh, and this is at number six. This is that movie I was talking about. It. I put uh, It's a four out of five for me. This is the litmus test. Uh, I, I Without even realizing it, either a film was a 4.5 or higher, as in I thought it was better than his debut, or it's a 3.5 or a three. And I just thought it doesn't have that much magic as his debut. So I don't know how it worked out that way, but following was right in the middle for me. I think it's a very charming film. I, I really liked it. Yeah, I, I, I got to rewatch this one. Guys. I, when I watch all of his films, I watch them in order, right? So this is the very first Nolan film that I watched. I went to go rewatch all of his films. Of course, at that point in time, I would have already seen Dark Knight Trilogy, Inception, some of the other big films, but not all of his earlier stuff and smaller stuff. And I haven't watched this one since. And I feel like I probably should go back and rewatch this one since it's only an hour. I would have liked a little more if Quentin didn't uh, spoil the, uh, the, the twist there for me, but that's all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have seen this movie before. I just kind of forgot them. That's all right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I know. Following is fantastic. If you're a big Nolan film fan and you you miss this one because you know it came out when you're six, like it did in my case, or I think it was maybe one when it first came out. <laughs> uh, I would recommend going back and watching it. It's only an hour. I don't think it's on anything, and I think that's probably an issue as well. It's probably hard to hard to find. But a uh, overall, it's uh, it is a good one for its runtime, and you very much do see the. Uh, the beginning of Nolan's film journey. And you can tell that like, he's come a lot, long way from there and he used a lot of a, uh, the same techniques in this one that he does in a lot of his other, you know, bigger budget films that you've probably seen and love. That's when Inception, Memento, even a uh, Dunkirk, I think has a lot of similarities uh, with this one as far as the editing styles go. Uh, this one is a good one. Uh, it's fun. All of his movies. Are good. Like I said, he hasn't made a bad movie. So even though I put this one last by no means, so I think it's his worst. Uh, I think it's the one that a, um, Everything he does in this movie, he does better in other films. Uh, but if you want to see where, 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 where he came from, I would recommend giving this one an hour. If you have an hour to waste, it's, uh, it's worth it for sure. Yeah, I don't know how often I'll revisit it. I agree. It's not like his best yeah. of the best of one certain thing. Like I said, Memento is right. literally just a perfected version of this. So. Whoa, we'll get to that one, we'll get to that one Quentin. Come on. <laughs> but, um, well, you know, it's obviously higher than this on the list. This is at yeah, number 11. It's going to be higher than this. this but... I agree. It's uh, just something really interesting to watch, uh, even if you're not a Nolan fan, because uh, maybe you're not a big fan of the two and a half hour runtimes or the loud scores that he does pick up a lot later once he gets into the blockbusters. He loves the loud scores. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, yeah. That, that's a Nolan trope, but uh, he hasn't gotten that here yet because this is still uh, a smaller budget film. But you know, if you don't like the how he, you know he really likes to over explain everything in his films, uh, which 
you know, I think is why this blockbuster is so successful because anybody that's, you know, you don't have to be the braised guy on the tree to still perfectly understand everything that's going on with like Inception, which is so complex. And I think that's what makes it great is he's so good at explaining everything so well that yeah. everyone's kind of on the same loop. But like following six, it's a, it's a 60 minute movie. He's not gonna walk. He's not gonna hold your hand. He, uh, they explain it, but you know, uh, they explain it once. So you know, it's you know, it's a nice quick movie. Uh, it's still got a lot of his Nolanisms in it. I do believe it's on Criterion Channel actually. If you uh, want to watch the movie, because <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's an indie film. So you know, a Nolan film cracked the Criterion Channel. Who would have thought? But yeah, uh, I, I thought it was pretty good. So. We can move on to number 10 here, which is also the movie Tristan has at number 10, which is also tied with following, and that is going to be The Prestige. So you have this what at... Did, what did you have it? You have it at 10, I have it at 8. Yeah, okay. You had it at 8, eh? Yeah, this, um, is, so this is one I was surprised by. Why? Oh, just because this is one that so many people have high up on their list. And yeah, it's about that. it's about yeah. magic. I thought me and you were gonna love this. I thought, oh, before I watched it, I thought, wow, this might be a top three film on the list because Tristan and I love magic. And then I saw it, I thought, oh man, this might be an interesting podcast because I don't think this is super great. And then I saw your oh, list, and yeah. I went, oh wait, I guess we both didn't think it was that no. great. No, it's just, like yeah, I this one's fine. It's fine, um, and it does feel like a Nolan film to some extent. I said at the beginning that his movies are long but not slow. This is the slowest and longest feeling of all of this. The runtime is not the longest, but this one, from my memory, this one felt like a drag. And I don't know, so I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm never a big fan of like the, the turn of the century, you know, time period for film. I always find those movies, I don't know, it's not really my favorite kind of movies. Um, <laughs> and I think that one, that does, you know, part of it. Yeah, for being a, a Nolan film about magic and magician and a, uh, like Tesla and Edison and whatnot, it just wasn't a. Yeah. I didn't love it. Even the t- I think also the twist at the end. When I saw the twist at the end, I'm like, really? That's that's, mm-hmm. that's the twist. Okay, all right. Okay. You know what I mean? Like it really wasn't mind blowing or or innovative. Like a lot of his other movies are. That you know the premise, it was fine. Yeah, I think I wanted to like it more than I did, and it does from my memory. It's the one that feels the longest, the slowest of all of his movies. And yeah, no, there's really nothing in there that ever really wants me go make me go back and watch it. I, I, I liked it, but I didn't really have a lot of fun with it, where I typically have a lot of fun with Nolan film. Honestly, all the movies look at my list above this one, I had a lot of fun with. Uh, this one, I didn't really have fun with, and I think that's why I have it. So. It's well done. It's, I have it above Insomnia and Fallen, because I believe it's the better movie of the three. It's probably better made, you know, really well acted, scripting was good, but I didn't have fun with it. And that's why I, I can't put it above any of the ones I had above. Yeah, yeah, I have following above it for sure just because i just think that's it's fair. a lot no, more that's, fun that's, i get that yeah absolutely because yeah. i agree with everything you just said about prestige just feeling really slow and long and the twist at the end and like following yeah. I, I just don't think it really worked i really didn't like the whole magic is real like i think the whole point of seeing magicians going up there and doing all these tricks like that's exciting right. that's like the point of watching magicians is like illusions right it's all about trickery like that's it? exciting yeah like how do they do it and just the default of oh actually magic is legit and like okay well now we're watching wizards right like now we're watching harry yeah. potter right like it's not magician magic's real but that's all it can do that's disappointing yeah like i don't know it just seems like there's so much more they could have done with this movie and also i don't know this is a hot take i think this is one of like his ugliest looking movies it's so dreary it's so 
blue I mean, and gray. Period. I don't know if it's just the time period or the visual design of this film. It's very gray and brown and and samey. A lot of the outfits are feel samey. The, the set designs feel kind of the same, even though they're different locations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it was a huge letdown. Like I heard that there's a a magic film by nolan i was like are you kidding me the guy that's the king of twists is gonna have like a twist to a magic show right uh, sound fantastic i was like this is gonna be like now you see me like revamped baby like this is gonna be like i was really prepared for this to possibly be my favorite like i really had high hopes for this one and maybe i'll like it more on a rewatch now that my expectations are a lot lower but i was really let down by especially the look of it like a lot of his movies look really really good and this one's just it's so gray and brown and gross in a movie about magic, in a movie that should be exciting and like full of life. Like they're in a carnival. It should be full of reds and gold and like, there should just be so much life and excitement. I find that style and that look to be exciting, like Nightmare Alley. Uh, even the I was Del Toro one. Nightmare yeah. Alley, yeah. <laughs> Nightmare Alley was better. Yeah, uh, Del Toro. I, 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 yeah, I wasn't a fan of Del Toro's version of nightmare alley i much prefer the original nightmare alley but uh i i, I wouldn't uh, you know i would be down to see del toro do a prestige remake i think del toro could do a pretty good job with this i feel like you know he kind of got the bradley cooper uh you know obsession energy that they had in nightmare alley uh with the carnival theme like that's just a better version of what this is and i feel like someone like del toro could make prestige really really interesting because it's an interesting concept just change the twist and change the look of it and maybe cut 30 minutes off and we got to film i like a lot of nolan films take themselves seriously and i think there's someone that hurts itself the most for how seriously it takes itself like it's about magic and magicians you know what i mean but that he couldn't loosen up and have bright colors because that wasn't part of the time period. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it took itself too seriously in a film when the twist wasn't serious. Mm-hmm. And I think that hurt it. And although it feels Nolan-y a lot more than Insomnia does, I you know it's more polished and seasoned than the following is. It's it's less fun though. You know what I mean? And it's less. Yeah. There's yeah. It's I get why some people like it a lot more uh, than I do, but it's not my thing. I still have it at eight. I, I still think it's a good film. I uh, I, I just it. agree. And, yeah, and I think it's, I do like it more than Insomnia and Following. I think, uh, but it's it, I can't put it above any of the other. Nine. I think the other nine are superior. Yeah. Well, speaking of nine, we can jump right into it here. At number nine, we have the film that caused this giant four-way tie to begin with, uh, and that is Tenet. Mm. Uh, which, funnily enough, it was so close to being at number ten for Tenet. You have Tenant at 9, and I also have Tenant at 9. So 9 all across the board from the and two of us and, and the list. Uh, I originally had it at 7, but I rewatched oh. it, and I okay. liked it way less. <laughs> so Really? Okay. Yeah, I kept telling you, I, I was excited to rewatch it because I really thought I could have liked this more. I was really excited for it, and uh, I just I, I liked it way less. I uh, Honestly, uh, if it wasn't for the fact that... Uh, Another film that we haven't discussed yet, Prestige and Insomnia, I just think are way more boring. Because uh, Tenet's probably not boring. It's just, it's just a lot. <laughs> it's, just, it's not fun. It's just a headache. But it's just a lot of talking. Uh, Tenet, I remember me and you were saying, yeah. Yeah. it's just well, that, too much talking. Yeah, I, I remember when it first came out, a lot of people were saying, this movie's super confused. The biggest complaint on him, this movie is too confusing for people. 
And so I went in there, and there's a lot of talk, as you already mentioned, a lot of exposition dump. They're really setting things up, really explaining it thoroughly. So as to make the audience not get confused. And my issue was, it was too simple. They spent too much time talking about what I thought was a relatively simple concept, that I saw the ending and twist coming from a mile away. Uh, not that that's really a bad thing, but like it was a lot of talking, a lot of setup for a concept that I didn't think was that difficult. Like the time travel forward and backwards through time made perfect sense to me. I'm like, yeah, I get this. But then they spent the next 45 minutes, even after I already got it, continuing to explain it, uh, which is fine. But I just felt so weird that some people still came away going, their issue was it was too confusing. My issue was they spent too much time explaining it, that I got it after 30 minutes of explaining it, and they explained it for the next 45, and then they had an hour of the actual movie after they finished explaining the premise. And although I like this film and I like the premise, if the premise is so complicated, they have to spend two-thirds of a two-and-a-half-hour movie explaining it and still have... 40 to 50% of the audience walk away confused. There's something going wrong here. You know what I mean? Even for a Nolan film, there's something going on here. There's a disconnect between what's going on on screen and the audience's reaction. That people are still confused, even though they're spending most of the runtime trying to explain the, the general concept and twist of the film. Uh, and, and I felt like, as an audience member, even though we did get the concept, did get the twists, it was grating on. Them, you know what I mean? Like, like, it, it, and the rest of the film was good, but not good enough to make me like this movie more than any other movies. You know what I mean? Because a lot of talk and a lot of explanation, really going deep on explaining how the time system works and the time travel works, that then they just sort of rushed in the actual plot at the end of the film and the action at the end of the film. I thought the performances were solid. Uh, I enjoyed the movie overall. I got the concept. I kind of wish they spent less time explaining the concept and more time exploring the concept. But apparently other members of the audience uh, would have preferred the opposite. They wanted more explanation and less exploring, I guess, because they still didn't understand what was going on. I think at this point, uh, Christopher Nolan got a little little ahead of himself here. You know what I mean? He kept getting deeper and deeper into the time twisting and time bending and cutting things and jumping through motions of things. And a uh, tenant was a, uh, where the threshold for what audience are willing to, to understand and accept past that line. You know, I think tenant might be a little too much even for, for Nolan to tackle. Uh, I, I liked the movie, but I didn't love the movie. I never rewatched it. I was hoping I would like it more in a rewatch. Now that I hear that you didn't Quentin them, I probably wouldn't either. So I'm kind of glad I didn't. Yeah, I was uh, on the exact same page as you on my first watch. I just thought, I don't know why everyone's saying this is so complicated. This is a pretty straightforward story. This is actually one of his more simpler films. But right. on my on my rewatch... I just think it's I think it's way too fucking complicated. I like I think the basic understanding of the story, like what me and you had on that first watch, like just stick to that. Like I think Nolan was just so excited to make Inception two. Like he wanted to make another groundbreaking yeah, film. Right, yeah, yeah. Like he wants another groundbreaking way of travel, of communicating with people instead of using dreams. They're going to use time. And Nolan loves time, so you know this is his bread and butter. Well, he's he's yeah, probably yeah. pumped for this. He's got the sound blasting out the wazoo. This is his favorite thing. This is probably Nolan of all Nolan. Yeah, I said Inception's the most Nolan film. Uh, this might be second place, or it might just be more Nolan-y than Inception. Like this is just his bread and butter. But um, watching the movie on a rewatch really occurred to me that the reason why people are so confused is because I think Nolan was trying to get people confused like the the over explaining everything and like yeah they they started getting me confused like i know the basic understanding of this movie but i actually started questioning like wait so how does this thing work wait why is this person saying that like wait how does that fit into what i just saw like 
he kind of starts over talking everything just to kind of make us all go oh my god like what's going on and then at the end you kind of understand the basic storyline like what me and you have and maybe they go oh wow that was so smart like that was so complex but like i got yeah. it i think he intentionally made it confusing like that's my theory come off smart i agree yeah. he made it he perp- yeah i i think you're right i think he did you know made it more confused and explained it more than he needed to try to come off more smart than it really was yeah, I think he just wanted the new Inception. He wanted something really, really clever, and he had a really good idea. But he, maybe he was worried that people are going to be like, ah, oh, this is more simple than Inception. This isn't fun. Like, this is kind of, you know, the poor man's Inception, right? Like, it's not that complex. Yeah, and he's like, more, oh, It yeah. is more simple than Inception. This is the Way concept more. of it's more simple than yeah. Inception. But you can, rather than trying to make the concept more confusing like Inception, you can just dive deeper into it and use yeah. it more. You know what I mean? I thought this going forward and backwards through time and seeing them play with Simon Prince, it was really cool visually. The amount of cool shit you could do visually with that, um, he, he scratched the surface with, but I felt like he could go deeper, and he spent more time doing that. The audience would be okay if it's not as complicated and deep as Inception is, because it allows for, for, for you know, better visuals and crazy action scenes, and there were some pretty well done and pretty cool action scenes, with, you know, bullets flying backwards and everything. I thought it was pretty sick at some moments. Um, but then they, they, he felt the need to spend, you know, well over half the runtime explaining it, uh, rather than just showing it. You know, yeah. show don't tell. I think that's that's the lesson you forgot in this one, right? He was he was doing too much telling and not enough showing. Yeah, it's easily the biggest issue. I think the visuals, the action, fantastic. The score was good. Uh, well, 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 the, the score was much. <laughs> the score was a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I wasn't a huge fan of the score. It was fine. Uh, this wouldn't crack my top five Nolan scores, but that, like, well, Nolan's awesome, incredible. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, the score was fine. I'm not going to complain, but I thought. He intentionally made it confusing, and I don't know if he needed to go, like, you said he could have gotten, like, crazier with the concept, even if he just did more of the same concept. Like, if he, if he just had more action sequences of the concept we already currently have, that's all I fucking want. Like, or let- <laughs> dare I suggest just cut about 20 yeah. minutes out of the runtime? Just make it shorter? Yeah, even better. Um, but yeah, this whole, like, honestly two-thirds of the movie is just people sitting there talking about the concept like it's a lot like, it's, it's so and like it's just not even good looking because they're just sitting there in like gray rooms like it's so it's another very great exciting movie. yeah not as bad as prestige it's a lot less brown but still a lot of gray it's so yeah well it's better than prestige but uh, that's another thing uh about nolan a lot of his movies are pretty like gray and blue and dark. That's he has he, he has a couple that are incredible looking and they stick out because they're it so is. incredible looking. But he has quite a few that are like grays and blues, uh, and this is one of them. This is you know this is not the yeah. best looking, but it's fine. I uh, I, I was let down though. I uh, really thought this was going to become like a four point five. I was like really I was all in ten at point two. I was ready to go on that rewatch, and I uh, I I was like oh my god I. I was too generous. <laughs> like, I think Nolan was his biggest enemy here. Like, it could have been good. He got a little too self involved. <laughs> yeah, a little too Nolan y for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, we can go on to number eight here, the last film in our four way tie from eight to 11. Uh, and this is the reverse of the following because you have this one at six and I have this one at 12. And that is The Dark Knight Rises. You have this dead last? I don't like this movie. <laughs> like, Who do you think you are? Well, I gave it a three out of five. I, I like it. Um, but this is this is the one I will never rewatch. I've seen it twice it now. It is very long. It's too long. It is the biggest issue, is it long? It's way too long. And like it's, yeah. 
I don't know. And Batman's only in it for 15 minutes. Like, maybe 20. I know. It's, I don't, a lot of this movie was a miss for me. I don't know if it's because it was the rewatch. Maybe that impacted it. But, like, everything he did just felt very, like, very cheap. Like, they spent really? so much time on the... Sorry, sorry, like, not looking, but, like, just the, the story. It's like, oh, the whole Bane storyline. It just feels like a less interesting version of so many films that have about, like, corporate greed and, you know, riots and uprising. And I just feel like this is kind of, like, a less exciting version of that. I don't know why this needs to be suddenly a Batman story uh, with Bane. I, I don't really love the whole Bane concept. I don't like the twist on... Almost every twist in this movie, I think, is a mess. Like, the, the Robin thing, they put way too much time on that Robin thing, which amounts to nothing. Nothing! Except for, like, a cool call-out to Robin existing. That, that That's it. It's, it's ridiculous. This is the whole movie. It's just a, it's a lot of time spent on stuff that really falls flat. Uh, the, the whole Bane and, uh, honestly, I'm terrible with names. You would know this more than I do, Tristan. The, the, the woman who... Yeah, yeah the, that whole thing is a miss for me. And it, really, the most and frustrating thing for me because it's in the nolan verse which is so dark and serious if this was in batman forever uh, i would find this hilarious uh, i would think it's fantastic but in, in this movie it just feels cheap where you have batman talking to his butler and the butler says <laughs> it's almost like goodwill hunting where he's like every day i dream where i go out to europe at a random coffee shop and I dream that I see you. That one's on the note. And, that's on the note. I gave you and, that. And I that, see, line, <laughs> that line is on the note. And I see I you at a cafe. And I was like, like this is literally just like a way worse version of Goodwill Hunting. Like, what, what does that mean? And then the very last shot of the entire trilogy. Like, this is the end to the trilogy is him seeing him at a coffee shop. It's the worst ending you could have ever asked for the trilogy. I, it's I don't horrible. Think it's a bad ending. I think that line just all is so obvious. That's how the movie's gonna end. Yeah, I know. It's so movie. cringy. I don't yeah. think the ending itself is bad. Um, that's I, fine. I, and I like. Okay, so I just want to say I like Dark Knight uh, Rises quite. I do find it too long, but I like this one more, not as a Nolan fan, but as a Batman. I love Batman, and I think Dark Knight Rises above all else. I think it's a pretty good Batman. I think it does a lot of its characters pretty well. Brings in a lot of the. Characters we don't see a lot of Bane, Talia Ghoul, uh, and introduces them. I think fairly well. I think it does a pretty good Batman story, uh, but it feels more more like a Batman movie than a Nolan movie. Um, even though it's very much set obviously in the Dark Knight universe, Nolan's Batman universe. Uh, but I like this one. I like this one quite a bit. The runtime is my biggest gripe, but the runtime and the amount of Batman in it is a, uh, the ratio is off. The movie's too long, and, and Batman's in it too little. Um, as far as the twists go. I like the twist. I think the twist hit pretty well. I remember watching this one with Hayden for the first time. It was his first time watching it. And every twist, he was shocked. He didn't see any of them come. And I most definitely don't think... Are you saying like the, the Robin twist at the end is wasted? Or that him being introduced in general was a waste? I just think they put way too much time on this character for a twist that amounts to nothing. Like, it's just... I oh, think the twist is that the, oh, it's Robin isn't as important as the character itself. though. Whether it's Robin or whether it's just... A, uh, the fact that now... That what Batman did was meant something, right? He inspired somebody. He created a successor, right? Bruce Wayne's life dedicated to being the Dark Knight, to being Batman, to saving Gotham, all of what when happened in, in the Dark Knight movie, which we'll discuss later when we get to it, um, with him, you know, being sacrificing his own reputation to protect Harvey Dent and, and trying to inspire the city to become better. Uh, it proved that it was all for something. I think having him as a character is important, especially if at the end of the movie you want to retire the Dark Knight like they did, right? 
you have to prove that it wasn't for for nothing. The bad guys didn't win at the end of the day because what the Dark Knight fought for still exists. It's still alive. Whether it ended up being Robin or just another character like Commissioner Gordon, who's a good police officer, who's not one of the bad cops, when all the other cops in the city are bad except for him. You know what I mean? I think that is important. It showed that what we spent three movies developing and Dark Batman spent his entire life fighting for wasn't for nothing. I do think having that character was important. Whether the twist at the end, whether he was robbing or not, that was irrelevant. It was a cool twist. Hayden's jaw hit the floor when it revealed that it was Robin. <laughs> Jada was surprised. You know, it was a fun <laughs> twist at the end for Batman fans. But a, uh, the fact that there is a character, and that's what Batman's always been fighting for, right? Not for himself or for Gotham City, but for good in general. And, and I think that that character was important. I, I, I didn't hate that character. That's uh, fair. As far as the Talia Ghoul twist, I enjoyed that. I remember when a... Uh, when it came out that a, uh, Hayden was surprised by the twist that, that she was Talia Ghoul and that Bane wasn't the one that escaped the cave. I thought all that was pretty well done. I thought Bane's story in general was pretty well done. Uh, I just felt the movie was too damn long. If they could have cut 30 minutes off of this thing and give us 10 more minutes of Batman, I'd be a hell of a lot happier with it. I think yeah. it's a good Batman story. I think it's a bad Nolan movie. I don't know. I don't think I'm a big Bane guy. And the fact that he was like the central villain, like, this is what we're ending on. Like, we literally had Two-Face and Joker and now we're ending on, like, Bane, and, like, I don't know. It just I mean, felt Bane like a did... real step down. Yeah, but he did Bane so well, though. He's he was so good as Bane. Hey, this is the best Bane I've seen on screen, you know. You no, know, that's the thing, right? That's fine. The first time we saw Bane on the big screen, he wasn't the sidekick bad guy. He was the sidekick sidekick, you know what I mean? He was the third-tier bad guy in this movie the first time we saw him. And this movie put respect on Bane's name. He was badass in this movie. Tom Hardy crushed it. Yeah, but... Right from the opening scene, I, 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 thought, I thought Bane was done pretty damn well yeah, but like you know, maybe he should have stayed as a side villain, right? Like maybe if he was like the secondary villain, like if he was the two face. Even in this movie, he is a side villain. That's the whole thing, right? At the end, he was the side villain. We just didn't know about. Oh, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> like he may not, he's not the mastermind, but he's still the main villain the of main. the film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like you know, the, I guess the the mastermind. They weren't a great villain either. They were an interesting twist, but like, you know, it was kind of boring. Uh, you know, I guess when I see a Batman film or a Nolan film, uh, I, you know, the, the spectacle was there for Nolan. The Batman villains were there for Batman, but I feel like we could have gotten a way better villain, made it way shorter. Uh, and, and, you the, know, the the biggest issue on this one. It didn't need to be that much longer than like the Dark Knight and Batman. Begins. It didn't need to be. Yeah, how long is this movie? It's 245. Two, 2.45? Yeah, it's under three hours. Oh my god. Wait, that's way longer than I thought. Wait, it's over three hours? No, it's two hours and 45 minutes. It's 2.45. Oh, sorry. It's under three Dude, hours. Dude, we, we said 2.45. I thought you said 245 minutes. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> I, two hours okay. and 45 minutes. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's no. what I thought it was. I thought it was around 2.40, 2.45. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, That's exactly where I thought it was. Okay, sorry. I, it blew, me, blew my mind for a second. I was like, there's no way I just sat there for a four-hour movie. Okay, no, no. way better. It wasn't three hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. two it's, hours and 45 minutes. It's shorter than the Batman. It's shorter than the Batman is. Yeah, he, he, uh, yeah, he could have cut an hour off that. That could have been an hour and 40-minute movie. Like, you, it is fast-paced. Even this one, it's not slow. It's just long. Whereas, like, the Batman's a lot slower paced than the Dark Knight movies are. I realized that when we watched the three Dark Knight movies in a row, then immediately after we watched the Batman. The Batman is slower, for sure. Not like the bad thing by any but it's not quite right. as fastly edited and fast-paced as the Dark Knight movies are. Yeah, just because it's fastly edited doesn't mean it doesn't it's... doesn't mean it's not long. Yeah. It's long. It feels long. I would, yeah. Dark yeah. Knight is only 15 minutes shorter than Dark Knight Rises is, but it feels like an hour short. It does. It's just how it feels. Yeah. 
it feels significantly shorter. Even the Dark Knight, yeah, the Dark Knight Rises uh, is not even close to his longest film in his filmography. It feels like it's an hour longer than every film he's ever made. Like it feels painfully long. Yeah, for me, at yeah, least. and I think that is just how much you know plot there is, right? And it just keeps going all the businessy stuff, right, with like the buyout and. And then the uh, the stock market uh, collapses, and then they have to try to get the one woman who they don't know is a bad guy to buy the business. You know what I mean? There's a lot of business talk for a Batman movie, which obviously Bruce Wayne is a billionaire and owns a business, but typically that's not too important in the Batman universe. But in this one, it is. Yeah, um, I guess that's okay. I enjoy this one, but I most definitely get why other people don't. Why you have this last like below Insomnia and the Prestige? I think is silly. I think this is for sure better than the Prestige and Insomnia. And I think it's better than the following for sure as well, but I get why you like that one more. Yeah, Insomnia is the only one that I could see an argument for, because uh, I didn't really love Insomnia. I just really liked Al Pacino, and he was the main character in it. So I enjoyed that a little bit. Uh, at least, like, Prestige, like, had a cool concept. Like, had something new. Uh, Dark Knight Rises. Like, that's, that's the one thing with Nolan, right? He, he always has a new concept. This is the only one that's, like, it feels old. Yeah, like, that's true. But in all fairness, also, this was the one movie that I really feel like no. I don't get any plans of following Batman Begins. And then he decided to make The Dark Knight. And he certainly had no plans of following that one. And people chip want to make another one. He's like, all right, I'll make this one. And that's yeah. it. Yeah, he should yeah. put his foot down. Uh, yeah. and, and maybe he that's why this is... Yeah. What they yeah, maybe that's, his, that's why this one's at the bottom. Because it, it's his least original. It, it's his third movie in a trilogy. Every other movie he does is a one-timer. Uh, and they're all unique in some way. And this one just really feels like we're really... I think this one does get a really bad rap. Only because like, it's obviously not as good as The Dark Knight, right? And I think that's what most people saw it one time, but yeah. eh, it's too long and not as good as The Dark Knight, and they never went back and watched it again. But I do feel like it is a good movie. I really enjoy it. I thought it had some great moments, some great scenes, some really good stuff in there. It's just like like 20 minutes too long, and An it's hour obviously too long. not The Dark Knight. It's just not The Dark Knight. Yeah. Well, you convinced me. That's why I rewatched before the Batman podcast last year, and I, I, I think I liked it just as much or maybe even a little bit less i just think it's really really long that's his biggest crypt tonight if this was an hour and 40 minute movie which he would never make but you know if it was an hour and 40 minutes maybe uh, i don't know i also just don't really care for bane or most of what the story was going for that's why it's a three i i, I really don't care for anything he did in this film i none of it really worked for me but he tried stuff right like you know once again nolan will at least try and it's not like he just threw on some iconic villainy threw Bane in, right? Like, like he had an That's idea. Yeah, you know I mean, like I'll really, give him credit. Still, it felt like he really tried this. He still saw a cool story, something unique we haven't seen before. Yeah. You know, a lot more risks than the average Marvel film takes. And you know what? They paid off a lot better than the average Marvel film took. It pays off. You know what I mean? I, I do like this one. It's yeah. better than most superhero movies by far. It's just not the Dark Knight. Yeah, I, I'd say it's right in the middle of superhero films. Maybe a bit better than most, but it's not the highest bar. But yeah, it's just this one really wasn't my thing. It really felt its run time, but yeah, the runtime's easily the, the yeah. biggest. No question about that. Yeah. All right. On to what number seven? We can move on to number seven here. We might have uh, uh, no no more ties. We're out of the tie round uh, for a little bit. Uh, we are going on to number seven here, and we might have a another disagreement here because uh, we have uh, the first film of the trilogy, Batman Begins. Tristan has no. this uh, at number five. Uh, it's only two away from the list, and I have it at number yeah. ten. So I'm, I'm a little lower on it. Man, you silly goose. This is a good one. <laughs> <Silly>. Yeah, <laughs> this is the good one. 
I really like this one. Uh, yeah, and to be fair, uh, this is, a little caveat, a huge step up from Dark Knight Rise. It's not even close. Uh, and once oh. again, uh, and, and I, I do kind of agree more with this position because I have this one above Insomnia, which I just don't think is that great. Uh, and then Dark Knight Rise, I just don't think is original. And then every other movie above Batman Begins, there's something unique or original that I like about it. Batman Begins is a good movie. It is is a one of the best superhero origin stories. I have it at a 3.5 out of 5, which I don't really give often to origin superhero stories because they're so tried and true boring. Uh, yeah. Follow the same formula. Batman Begins is good. Uh, I'll get that right off the bat. I have it at 10 because it's just a superhero origin story. Like It's one of the better ones out there, but compared to most of Nolan's films. Yeah. Uh, well, I you know it might be a hot take, but I think uh, yeah, I think the original Spider Man is uh, is, is the that's best. the argument, right? The OG Spider Man is, is is you know it's that or this one by far. Um, this one's for sure the best Batman origin story. I hope we never get another Batman origin story because we just don't need it anymore. We got we really one. don't. It didn't seem with Spider Man. Honestly, uh, the oh, the smartest choice MCU did was to skip yep. over that and just go yeah. straight into Homecoming. Hundred percent. You don't need yeah. a remake of the origin story nope. of Spider Man or Batman. We we got the two no. here. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it is a great origin story. I think it's one of the best. This is how you do a, a superhero origin story. And once again, using once again using unique bad guys, not ones we see a lot. Scarecrow and Raja Ghoul being the two main bad guys in this one, not ones you see too often in Batman movies. In fact. You haven't seen them in a live-action Batman movie before or after. I really like this one. I love this one. And I know now it might seem like nothing special. You keep mentioning how he does something new in all the other films. He doesn't do anything in this one. I don't know. This sort of gritty, real-life take on a superhero, although it's been done to death now, back in, what, 2005 when this one came out? That's never really been done before. I, I absolutely do think this super grounded look at what if superheroes are real. How can we have a real superhero in our world? I think a really iconic one like Batman, who's infamous for not having powers, right? So, of course, it's an easy one to take. But then adapting it and taking bad guys that do traditionally have powers, like Ghul, who's supposed to be immortal, of course, since when he's not, just he keeps people who, everyone who is Ghul does die because they, they're not actually the real Ghul. And then a uh, Scarecrow, you know, having chemical formulas rather than that having any kind of real powers. I don't know. I think this one's super well done. Runtime a little long again. Doesn't quite feel like a Nolan film, as in, you know, it's linear storytelling, which is rare for a Nolan film, or mostly linear storytelling, at least. Another phenomenal, phenomenal Batman movie. This time, though, good Nolan film. Unlike The Dark Knight Rises, which was not a very good Nolan film. This one's a good Nolan film and a great Batman movie. I have it at number five. I love this one a lot. I get why you don't like it as much, because it's, it is a superhero movie, first and foremost, Nolan film second. And that's why I'm guessing you have it tenth, even though I think it's silly, because I think it's significantly better than things like Prestige and Tenant. Unlike those, this one is a phenomenal. It's really, really good. It is good. I also just, I love the idea of Scarecrow, and I think having him as a starter villain uh, is similar to Riddler for the, uh, the, the Batman remake we obviously have with Matt Reeves. I think those are like good starter villains, yeah. right? Like we kind of get the ground up with Batman. We need to focus more on him because this is his origin. But at the same time, I kind of love the idea of having like these lesser intense villains that do pose a threat to a newer Batman. And I think Scarecrow using fear is a really, really cool idea that I just don't think is implemented well. And I think if Nolan were to do Batman Begins now, I think it would be really good. I, just, I think I Nolan could do it now. If you were to do it now, the fear scenes and the use of the fear scenes would be amped up a lot. Yeah. They'd, be, they'd be a lot better. He'd use it a lot better. I agree with you completely there. 
it's just like shaky cameras and it's just like quick like uh, and like yeah yellow lights like like three or four times total yeah. and only a couple times is it do, is it anything longer than a couple minutes and in those times it's nothing spectacular that could be also this is early in his career he didn't quite have the unlimited budget he does now i do feel like that could largely be a budget constraint as well for everything else he's trying to do in this movie well, I was about to play off that. I don't necessarily think it's a budget constraint because this is a Batman movie. And I do think he got a pretty decent budget for it. I just think it's the fact that this was his first time with a big budget. I just think the fact that we have Christopher Nolan, who's used to being very limited with his budget being either following or memento, he's used to kind of just having these shortcuts and kind of portraying things in like a smaller scale. And maybe he wasn't used to using these fear scenes that could have been really really cool intense and cinematic he's kind of not used to going so big scale yet he's not used to inception levels he's used to kind of doing like the quick cuts and like the you know the the smaller way of portraying it because maybe he's just not used to having that ability yet and that's why i think a more masterful nolan uh could have probably done a lot with those scenes and those scenes just felt like a huge miss and honestly kind of made the scarecrow not actually seem that intimidating in the whole film and i feel like if he became really intimidating in this movie the film could have been really really cool because the film does set off with fear and the bats with batman it is a really cool concept i just think it could have been perfected more uh, and i think no one better than nolan could have done this uh i just think maybe he made it a little too early and obviously this is what you know sets him off into the path he couldn't have been known without this movie but i think if he ever did you know in some alternate universe remake this movie i think it could have been a great film i just think some of it kind of falls a little flat for me but uh, like you said really good origin film good batman movie like like this oh, i yeah. believe was in this was in my top five batman films of our batman ranking and i'm a big batman guy so you know Oh, <laughs> I, I like the movie a lot for Batman. Well, this is one of the best Batman stories yeah. ever told, I think. I think this one's really well done. I have a five here, top five Nolan films. That feels fair right now. Mind you, I don't think it's going to stay top five Nolan films for long. Why, you think he's got a really good one coming up? Oh, he's got many good ones coming up. I'm confident in it. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we'll get to that later, but yeah, that, that's interesting. All right. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about Batman Begins? I know you you love this movie. I feel no, like I talked I a lot. No, I really love this one. I love Batman. I love Nolan. Of course, I like this one. We can move on to number six. Then we are at the halfway point for his filmography, and we have the last film that I put below following. So, I guess we're on the same page with the top five are. But at number six, we have Dunkirk which uh, we yeah. have at six, but we both have at number seven. So we're on this exact yeah, same page here. Yeah. Dunkirk's a good one. I like that one. Yeah. If Andrew was on this podcast, she would have bumped this bad boy up. I think this is her second favorite Nolan movie. Oh, really? But, yeah, yeah, she loved it. it. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's a fun one. I've only seen this one once. Uh, I wish I saw this one in theaters. That would have been a good one. To see I didn't. So. War movie, probably is most, uh, even count Oppenheimer as a war movie, I guess, but this one, you know, it's most direct war film about the Battle of Dunkirk, or I guess the, the escape from Dunkirk more so than a battle and they uh the attempts to save the the troops uh from the battle of dunkirk i think it was really well done i love the score on this one as far as nolan's tours go this one this one's a good one i like the uh sort of three different timelines going on at the same time cutting back and forth between them uh really enjoy this one just a fun nolan movie this is if nolan did a war movie this is what you're expecting to watch this is what you get i uh, you know i thought it was fantastic i like how it all takes place in one battle one day I love those kind of movies, especially those kind of war movies where it takes place, uh, not in real time by any means. Like I said, it does jump across times and across three different storylines all happening 
playing out at the same time. Yeah, what did you think of Dunkirk here, Quentin? I know you're not a big war movie guy, but we both agree on this one being pretty much smack dab in the middle of a uh, Nolan's filmography. I'm kind of glad you brought that up because I, I always say I'm not a big war movie guy, but something that really blew my mind uh, lately is uh, on Letter. Like <laughs> I guess how much I secretly like war movies because on Letterbox, when you're a patron or a pro member, you can have access to a list online of all the genres, your average ranking of each genre. So dramas are my second highest genre because obviously I love dramas. And I've, despite the fact that I've seen like 500, 600 dramas, it's still like an average ranking of like 3.8. Like, you know, dramas, I, you know, I'm a sucker, right? <laughs> I love that yeah. shit. But war movies is number one. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how that happened, but war movies well, is apparently my favorite. And I think I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't have, I don't really use Letterboxd, so I wouldn't know actual statistics. But I, um, for me, war movies are like, ah, I don't like war movies. I just won't watch it. But then when I do watch one, I'm like, oh, wow, that was really good. I can't really think of any war movies I hate, to be honest with you. But like, I, I typically don't watch very many of them. But the few I have watched, I've really enjoyed the vast majority of them, including Dunker. Yeah, that's exactly what it is for me, too, because I've seen like 20 war films. And so my average yeah. is like a 4.0. And then yeah, I've seen, I haven't seen very many, but the ones I've seen, I like. <laughs> yeah, and then I've seen 600 dramas, and it's like a 3.8. So, you know, obviously they'll weigh it down a little bit. So yeah, it's exactly. just, it is interesting. I'm the same way. Uh, I don't, you know, go out of my way to find war films to watch. But whenever I do watch them, I do tend to really, really like them. And Dunkirk uh, is probably on the weaker half, if I was to divide the line of war films that I've seen. I, I don't think this is in my top 10 war films of the 20 war films that I've seen. I am really conflicted with this movie, and I have it at seven on my placement here. It's one away from making a four out of five, from being in the following range. It's right there. There's a lot of things I love about this film, uh, and I think you touched on almost all of them. Uh, the score, absolutely incredible. Uh, this might be his yeah. best score, maybe his second I... best. It's up there. Uh, actually, yeah. it's in his top three. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go there. Uh, like It's really, really good. And I really love it visually like the film looks incredible like you said uh, if i had one movie i wish i did end up seeing in theaters for yeah. nolan it might have yeah. been this one like this, and this one, looks like, so I had good the opportunity and i just didn't i'm like idiot Just yeah. saw this one on the big screen man it would have been incredible yeah if i if i saw this in imax this oh. probably would have been a four <laughs> like it would have it would have would have gone up just to see that in imax it would have been so good and I also really love the ending. Uh, the ending might be because my wife absolutely loved this movie. She gave it five stars. She thought it was absolutely incredible. And she cried at the ending. She, she loved it to death. Uh, and so that probably helped me like it. But like the shot of Tom Hardy lighting the plane on fire and you know he's fucked. Like that's fucking good. Or the moment where you look at the newspaper and you see that Barry Keoghan's on the newspaper that's powerful like the ending kind of wraps up everything really really well is so the ending's really strong and i don't say that often because i feel like uh nolan movies uh actually i take that back a lot of nolan movies have good endings now that we're getting yeah, to the well. now that we're getting to the later half of his films almost all these movies have incredible endings uh but i guess sometimes they're a hit or miss sometimes the endings are kind of like ah, eh, it's fine but this one really ends and strong my issue with the movie is I just don't care about anybody in this movie. It's so isolating. This is an issue that Nolan has with a lot of his movies, actually. Uh, I was waiting to talk about this for another movie, but I'll bring it up now. His move, the problem with Nolan for me is 
the emotion to the film. I can watch a film like Inception or Memento or Tenet even to an extent and go, yeah, that is cinematically impressive. That is an incredible work of art. I can't believe a human being created that. Like it's just really well made. I don't know how someone could do that, but it's just like spectacle over substance. Like I don't know how much emotion I have to anybody on screen. It's very cold. It's very technical. And Dunkirk's like the perfect example. It is like a technical achievement. And I couldn't tell you anyone's name. I couldn't tell you anything about anybody. They're all just people on screen. Like there's no personality to anyone. Tom Hardy, I couldn't tell you a single thing about that guy except he can fly a plane. (laughs) There's nothing to him. Like everybody's so one dimensional in this movie. I agree with that, but I don't think it's style over substance so much as it's just plot focused storytelling over character focused story. You right. know what I mean? Like, like his movies are, are like it's not like there's not plot and depth to them. They're just not emotional stories based on the character, right? Like you like dramas as your favorite genre. You obviously like character focused storytelling, right? You know, deep emotional characters that you get invested in, you relate to, you understand their motives and their passions and everything. And for the most part, Nolan doesn't really do that too often. They're very plot focused storytelling, very objective, outside, you know, am you know, sort of omnipotent view of what's going on in this whatever the movie's about, the story, the war, the the scene or whatever. And you don't really invest in individual characters, more so in what's going on in general, the story, what's happening in the world around it, right? And, and I think it's just, I love that kind of storytelling. Um, not that I don't like people and, and, and character arcs and whatnot, but I'm also a bit more plot-focused. I want the story to keep moving rather than lingering on on any given, you know, emotional break between characters or scenes like that. And Dunkirk, as you point out, probably is his most removed from the person story of all of them. None that doesn't have a plot or doesn't focus on what's going on in the story in general. Uh, by no means is there no substance. There's lots of substance. Uh, it's just not emotional. It's not personal. I can't name a single character from Dunkirk except Winston Churchill. And the only reason I can name that one is because he's Winston fucking Churchill. Of course I can name that character. Um, <laughs> but that's not important, right? The individual isn't important in the war. Right? It doesn't matter about the individual characters or their individual motives. What matters is what's going on in the world around them. How badly we've got to get these guys off the beach and back to the UK in order not only to save their lives, but just have any freaking chance in the war going forward, right? If we lose this battle, we lose this war. And who knows what happens at that point. That's important. That stakes. The audience cares about that, even if they can't name Tom Hardy's character, right? Even if they don't know why... This is the one that Harry Styles is in, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they don't know why Harry Styles is gone to war and left his family behind, because that's not important in this movie. And I'm not... I guess I'm kind of defending it, but this is also the way Nolan does films in general. I don't think he's a real touchy-feely kind of guy in general. He's more of a focused, artistic style focused. There's substance to the film for sure. There's just not emotional. Yeah, yeah, and by substance, I mean like substance with any of the characters, but you definitely, yeah, you definitely, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying his films don't have substance in the plot itself, because no, they're they're very well thought out movies. Yeah, Dunkirk's like the most isolating with the characters. It is. And, it's and the most emotionally removed, yeah. even with about war, which is always very emotional. Yeah, and I'm very aware of the intent of what he was doing. Like you said, the, it's very specifically why he has it cutting between different storylines, because uh, it's not about a specific story. We're not following a single act of a person's point of view. There it's war no in general. Character. Yeah, there is no main character. It's war in general. That's what the film is. Yeah. And so I, I get it. I, I just don't know if it worked for me, uh, but but I do get what he was going for, and and cinematically, it, like it looks great. Like this is a, this is a great yeah this is a great visual demo, right? Like yeah. uh, it's great looking. Uh, there's no denying that. But 
Uh, yeah, this is just one that I'm glad I watched. I really am because I thought it looked incredible. Um, and my wife might force me to watch it a few more times, but I would never pick this for movie night. <laughs> like, this would be my pick. the big screen, though. I'm getting my ticket immediately. If, That's true. You know, they, That's true. Yeah. If they ever ran for like a 10 year anniversary or something like that, uh, I'm getting my ticket right away. No question. That's true. I would see this in theaters, no doubt. Uh, th- this would be a great one to see. All right. So we can. Top five? Go into the top five here, uh, and this is my top five, actually, but this is not your top five, so we will be taking the one that is an outlier for you right off the bat here, and that is going to be Interstellar, which you have at yeah. eight, and I have at four. In all fairness, the only thing I didn't have, well, this wasn't top five because I had the two Batman movies above it and Dunkirk, which I guess I liked a little bit more than you did. Obviously, I like Batman, so that's biased there. I like Interstellar a lot. This one is very much a sci-fi movie. This is the most sci-fi of all of them. Um, this also is one I think visually, we mentioned a lot of the movies are pretty gray. This one's probably one of the more colorful ones. This one oh, yeah. visually, this one's great. This one has some great visuals in it. I like the plot twist at the end. I, honestly, I really like this movie. For me, when you mentioned how you have like a litmus test, anything above that one you really liked, you said it was the following, and you have that one number six. Mm-hmm. For me, it's really Tenant. Anything I had above Tenant, I really enjoy. <laughs> anything below Tenant, uh, I didn't care for. Tenant itself is whatever. I really like Interstellar. I do. This one's just super sci-fi, and I'm not a big sci-fi. And I think that's kind of why I put Dunkirk and Dark Knight movies above it. Um, I like Batman. I really like Dunkirk. Interstellar's really, really good. Love the plot, the, the twist at the end and everything. A lot of the middle section, the whole middle third, felt like sci-fi stuff I've seen before. We're going to a planet that's going to take multiple years off our lives because time moves slower there or whatever. It's like, yeah, okay, I've seen movies that have that exact plot. It's cool and interesting, but nothing new, really. You know what I mean? As far as the sci-fi stuff goes, it was give or take for me. But I do love this movie. I really love that one scene at the beginning when a um, who's the lead in this one again? Christian Bale. Yeah, I was say, is it Bale? I was, I was thinking it was Christian Bale. I'm like, no, I'm just thinking that because he's Dark Knight. But it is Christian Bale. Okay, yeah. So Christian Bale, and he goes into his uh, his teacher's fail. His son's failing school, and he asks the principal, "How come my son's yeah. failing school?" He goes, "Well, because sir, he's only getting like a like 48 or whatever. He's not smart enough to pass." He goes, "Well, what's your what's your what's your waist size?" 30, 32 inches. And your inseam, probably what, 28, 29 inches? You know, it takes two numbers to measure the size of your ass. Only like one number to measure the size of my kid's intelligence. I freaking love that line. I love that scene. That's incredible. All yeah. right. Like, like, that's Nolan through and through. That's a fantastic point. All right. Like, I love the whole movie is really good. If you like sci fi movies, if you like Nolan movies, you're going to love this. One. I like this one a lot. I just really like his other movies. So I like them just a little bit more. This one's by no means a bad film. I just couldn't justify putting it above Dunkirk or the or Batman Begins in Dark. I fuck that. What can I say? Yeah, Interstellar. I have it out of four. Honestly, it's mostly because of how it looks. It's it's fucking it's incredible. It's, it's so it's good. Visually, it's best looking movie. Like plot wise, it's fine. It's good. Twists in it were, were pretty good. I enjoyed them. But the visuals are are you know that's the reason to play on this one. Too. Yeah, this this is his best looking movie. Uh, Bar none. This, uh, this other film later on the list that I think looks absolutely incredible, and then Dunkirk. Th- those are his three golden standards. Uh, so we're going back to back here with his two best looking movies. Really, it's it's just so good looking. It's just such a beautiful film to watch, and I really really liked the first half. Uh, and the second half was great. Like like I have this out of four. I, I love the movie as a whole, but the first half really hits home and you were saying how it didn't really work to you because you've seen it before you know it's nothing too mind-blowing of going on a planet 
and yeah. you know it starts speeding through time so you know you miss much more time on earth i think that's actually the stuff that really works i think the that's probably one of the few times you really felt the stakes in a nolan movie because you know this is probably one of his more emotional films you I was know? Say, yeah you're right it has more emotional stakes yeah like the rest of his movies you know it's kind of like yeah exactly exactly yeah there's definitely stakes in all of his movies but like you know oh no we gotta run backwards through time like tenet or oh no you know we gotta hey, shoot the plane fair, down I this one above tenet, I <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. yeah no, i'm not like saying anything about you just as a whole you know like oh no we gotta shoot the plane down to dunkirk like there's stakes but like this is they go on that planet and they botch it they fail to do what they need to do on that planet and so he gets back on that ship and they botched it for only like an hour, but he just missed 30 years of his own children's lives. That's crazy. That's the stakes you fucking want in a movie like this. At least, that, at least that's what I want, you know, as a guy that loves drama. That's, no, yeah, that's incredible. It's really yeah. good. And, and I didn't cry during the whole uh, Christian Bale watching back on the footage of his children. Like, like that didn't make me cry. Uh, but it fucking made my wife cry. <laughs> like, she loved it. This is, uh, we're going through her two favorites back to back. Interstellar is her favorite by far. I think this may be one of her favorite films ever. Uh, she absolutely loved this movie. And uh, honestly, I can fucking see it. I have this at four. I think it's just a gorgeous film about a father and his children. And he chose his career over his over his family and he would have rather have his family over his career but he was kind of pushed into this position and this is a sci-fi story on a real life thing on you know you make a choice on whether you want to you know pursue your career or your family and they literally made a sci-fi stake that nobody could have imagined of you lost 30 years of your children's lives because some guy botched the job on the planet and you literally wasted it. Like, he wasted that time for nothing. And so I think that stuff is really interesting. That's a sci-fi nolan twist to a concept that people live in their everyday lives. And it's a really cool idea that is implemented really, really well. Uh, the second half of the movie, great. Uh, you know, the, the book story, uh, you know, like the bookcase stuff, uh, all that's visually great. Uh, I, I like it. It works for me. Uh, but it's really the first hour of that movie where i'm just like holy fuck i'm sold like this is just a story about a man and his children and i think it's really interesting and it looks fucking gorgeous you know it was kind of like the cherry on top that it's also the greatest looking movie that he's made so it was a really good you know combination of everything uh i i think it's a good movie oh yeah it's a good one for sure like i said i think eight of these movies here are, are legitimately legitimately fantastic i really do i yeah. like interstellar a lot yeah, it's a uh, great movie. It's a good one. All right. We can move on to number four here. And that is going to be a film that you have at number four and I have at number three. Uh, it's actually tied with the film that we have in third, but we'll get to that one later. At number four, we have Memento. So good. It's so good. I, I love this movie. This was... Uh, one that I actually saw a year or so ago, so I actually saw it quite a while ago. Maybe two years, actually. This was one that I watched just on my own, because I was always interested in this film, and it did not disappoint. This is the perfect combination of Nolan at his, you know, at his peak. Even though it's so early in his career, like, this is just the exact type of film Nolan was made to yeah. make. There was only one director who could ever make this movie. And, and make it so great. well. And that, and that was Nolan. And... yeah. 
it's still like it's not like a big blockbuster like it's just such yeah. a it's such a beautiful small little film. small indie film that is so well made like this is just incredible do you have any idea what it was about going into it uh i like, knew it was about i i style? i knew it was a man jumping between time but that's i didn't really know much See, I knew nothing about this movie. I was starting to begin with filmography and just moved along to when I hit this, and the entire movie is playing in reverse. Right? If you don't know this movie, it functionally it plays in reverse. It's uh, the main character has short-term memory loss and can never remember anything, and so he, he basically the whole movie is trying him trying to figure out what happened in the last ten minutes. And once he finally figures out what happened in the last ten minutes, you go, oh, well, what happened in ten minutes like that? And so you play play through the movie backwards and get to the beginning at the end of the film, and you kind of piece it all together as it plays out, and it. It plays with time, it plays with memory, it plays with characters. Uh, I probably already said too much, to be honest. Uh, if you haven't seen this, go in there knowing as little as possible. If you like Nolan and you're okay with nonlinear storytelling, you're going to absolutely love this. Uh, this one, it's so much fun. I, it's really just Nolan playing with time. And a, uh, I think because the smaller budget is willing to take even more risks than he normally does with a, uh, just telling the story through time. And I can see why some people might find it confusing. But it's not like Tenet where he spends so much time trying to explain what's going on. He just expects you to pick it up. And, and as an audience member, you do. It's not hard. It's not confusing. It's just good. So when I first started watching, I had no idea it was going to play back. So you know, for the first five, ten minutes, you kind of figure out what's going on. How is it working? Kind of explain what's going on. And he keeps writing notes down for himself and tattooing himself so he can remember things. He can't remember anything. He wakes up in the morning, no idea who he is, where he is. There's all the tattoos written on him. So he can remember who he is, what's he doing, why is he there. And he starts trying to figure out who can he trust, who can't he trust, who knows who he is, who doesn't know who he is. And as an audience member, you're trying to piece it all together yourself as the main character is trying to piece it out as well. And together, you're sitting there with the main character trying to figure out what the hell is going on here. Who murdered who? And at the end, it's all big murder mystery trying to figure out who, who's the killer. Uh, and it goes places I didn't expect. It's a classic Nolan film as they can get, really. This is his first, his first big film, I guess. This is his second movie, right? right after Following. I think, or maybe he has this one after Insomnia. Uh, I think this came up before Insomnia. Let me double check. I think so too. I'm pretty sure it was following them this one. He didn't know how many shots he would get, at get making an actual movie. So he took his, I don't want to say his best idea, but one of his clearly an idea that he had for a while. He was wanting to make a movie. He knew he could make it. And he, by God, did he. It's so good. It, it's a movie that plays backwards to forwards, which you don't think would work, but it works so well. And when he tried to revisit that idea with Tenant and actually have things backwards, it just didn't work anywhere near it. Memento uh, is just a masterpiece in filmmaking as far as indie films and smaller budget go, but still doing so much with so little. Just, just a master at work, really. I love this movie. It pretty much is like everything you said. This really feels like the better version of following. Like This is just everything from that film amplified here. He yeah. is pretty much kind of similar in... I guess it's construct, but obviously Memento is just everything put together better tenfold with like the twist of who's betraying him and the time jumping. Uh, everything's just mastered better in this film. It really feels like he had a film he really wanted to tell and he filmed following because he thought that was his only chance to really tell it. Uh, and then that kind of became his film demo. It felt like this, that was the movie he maybe showed to some smaller studios to maybe give him some money to make the, the better film Memento. This feels like he's finally got the playground to play in, right? Like, this feels like yeah. he finally got to do what yeah, he really wanted. It. Yeah, like, this is what he was wanting to do with following. It really feels like that, because the time jumping and following, 
I like seeing him experiment because he obviously loves time, but it doesn't really make sense. It's just, it yeah. is literally made to just confuse the audience. It's to keep us in the dark. Memento, it has a purpose. He, it we're, gives you a reason yeah. why it's... Yeah we're, yeah, we're in the dark with the protagonist and that's just how it's structured. It's so smart with how it does it. With the twists being revealed and as the days are becoming more and more clear to us as the audience, the film is just really clever with how it's keeping just enough back but showing us just enough to constantly feel like we're advancing with like understanding what this movie's trying to get at and so it's a really smart film that's really clever really quick i don't remember the runtime but it really flies by yeah it's not long this feels like it's one of his quickest films to watch like it it, honestly it i haven't rewatched this one yet this was one that i was going to i lose two hours Oh, well, it flies. <laughs> really. yeah, it, I, it does. I, I thought it was an hour 45 top. Yeah, I thought for sure. No way. It's over an hour 40, hour 50. No way. But I, I, yeah, I guess we were wrong. Um, crazy that Dark Knight Rise is only 45 minutes longer. But, you know. Uh, it feels funny. What, what are you, you going to do? It does feel long. I get, I, yeah. Yeah. And Memento feels short. Like, this feels like it's his quickest film, except for following, I guess, because that's literally just an hour. But Memento feels like. It feels like it's an hour and twenty. Like you're, it feels like you're racing through trying to figure out what's going on. It's a really great mystery. I'm a sucker for those. It's got a great twist. This might be one of the best Nolan twists. Uh, and and Nolan's pretty good at holding on to He's some pretty, pretty good twists. Good yeah, <laughs> that's a compliment. Yeah, this might be my favorite Nolan twist. Actually, I love it. So, I thought Memento was just a really fun time, and I just thought the concept worked really well. It's uh, for sure yeah. of him playing with time. This is my favorite of him just messing around with time. Yeah. He clearly has a lot of fun with it and does it really well. I agree. Yeah, this is my favorite use of, use and of it, time. It, it makes, like, it's sort of a gimmick, but it doesn't feel like a gimmick. Yeah. It's definitely a gimmick, but, but it's yeah, gimmick. It, it, yeah, it definitely. Uh, it, like how, like, like, it's a good structure. Know, the screen to life genre is a gimmick and searching and missing, but they don't feel like a gimmick. It feels like it belongs. Yeah, it, uh, it, it works really well. I was a big fan of it. I, I thought it was. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I would imagine this is great on a rewatch. I probably should have rewatched it instead of Tenet, but uh, that was the wrong choice on my part. But yeah, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Uh, have, have you rewatched this? Have you only seen it the one time? I've seen it twice. Because I watched it once when I first watched all the films back, and you, and then I, I, I convinced Mom and Hayden to watch it. You guys got to watch this one's just good, and they enjoyed it. Oh yeah, they liked it a lot. Yeah, this is an easy one to recommend to people. I feel like everyone would like oh, this yeah. one. Oh yeah. We are moving on to number three here. Uh, this is one that you have at number two, and I have mm-hmm. at number five. And this is probably one of his most iconic. Uh, yeah. It's, it's up there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that is Inception. Yeah. I. This is classic Nolan, iconic Nolan. I, I really like Inception. Super fun. I'm supposed to have it at five. I thought it would be a little higher. Man, that's pretty pretty bang i'm a big fan of inception everyone's seen Inception. everyone here knows it i love the way the ending in this one you know i love endings that leave things up to the audience a uh, interpretation you know what i mean good uh you know the uh, the water cooler discussions in the office is he still in the dream world is he back in the real world you know those sort of discussions uh i like this movie a lot it it, it really brought sort of nolan's style to the limelight even more so like dark knight was, of course the massive hit for him prior to this one but that didn't, you know, of course, it's Nolan's style for sure, but not the sort of time bending, jumping through timelines and then twisting the worlds around you kind of thing. 
that Nolan loves to do in Tenant and Interstellar and Memento. And of course, it, he does it a lot here in Inception and sort of the movie of his that brought that style to the forefront. When you think of Nolan and Nolan's style, you think of Inception and the world twisting around the main characters and whatnot. Uh, and I love it. I love everything about this movie. The score on this one's great, as always. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio is a great lead. Ellen Page is fantastic. Or Elliot Page, sorry. Also the fantastic in this one. Uh, I really, really like the Inception a lot. What do you think of this one here, Quentin? You only have a five, but still top five. That's pretty good for Nolan Riss. What, what do you think? Yeah, well, once again, following is at six. This is the section that's 4.5 or higher. It's a big, the top five is just the clear five in my mind. And this is, this is a great film. There's no denying. Of the five, it was between this and Interstellar uh, battling for the fourth position. Because in my opinion, like the top three are kind of set in stone. Like, like I have a clear top three that I just don't see any of these other movies ever. Even with as much time as Nolan loves, I don't think they'll ever age as well in time as my three favorite but uh, inception's up there with interstellar as just a really great sci-fi film a really great concept uh really they both have different edges to them uh, inception is a greater ending it is just a greater final 45 minutes yeah the ending of inception is fantastic it's got a greater set piece. I love the hallway fight. I love a lot of the sets they have in this film and how physical it is. It's just incredible. But on the flip side, Interstellar is obviously more emotional. Uh, like uh, Inception, I love the movie. Uh, but like you said, it's, it's more, most of the substance is on the plot because it's such a well thought out plot that I, I don't really care about anybody in this movie uh, to the extent that I do with some of his other films at least. Uh, and then I also just don't, love how it looks i love the I, I know i love the i obviously love the dream world and the the world collapsing on itself like that stuff i love i mostly mean the color palette it's mostly just it's like very gray it's just blues and grays it's it's yeah. unfortunately part of the group of tenant and prestige and obviously it looks better than those but it's still kind of with that group of it's just you know he loves his blues and grays like you know you can't fault the boy right like you know they look great on imax color, <laughs> he's a fan who am i to judge so it's got that one thing working against it in comparison to Interstellar, obviously, because I think those are my those are up there for incredible Nolan films uh, that just don't crack my top three, but I just love for very different reasons. This is very different than Interstellar, despite the fact that I kind of was debating on which one was number four. I actually had Inception at four, and then like a week ago, I kind of, I just kept remembering the, uh, I just kept remembering the the footage of Christian Bale watching his children grow up, and I thought, you know what, that that just that's something that uh, Inception just didn't have, and I gave that a bit of the edge there. And but then you remember yeah. the measuring your ass joke, and you're like, you know what, I got it. <laughs> I, hey, I'm glad you brought that joke up because I actually totally forgot about it, but I fucking loved that moment I in the movie. Love that line. It's, 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 it's not even a joke, line. actually. I don't know why you said it was a joke. Yeah. It's a great fucking line. Like, it's so it's a good. It's great line. It really yeah. puts in perspective, like, schooling and, in generalized standard testing and IQ numbers in general, yeah. right? Like, what the fuck point do they have? Yeah. How useful yeah. are they, really? Yeah, it, it was a great moment. I, there's a lot of good moments in Interstellar and Inception. Uh, Inception's yeah, and the only other movie that I've, like, willingly watched multiple times. And I guess I willingly watched Dark Knight Rises at Tenet a second time, but that'll be the only rewatch i'll have for those movies while inception i've seen three times i've seen maybe four uh i love the movie i watch it with my wife she loves the movie this isn't even like an emotional movie 
even Inception, Tristan, like a movie that's not emotional at all. That's like two and a half, two hours and 40 minutes long. My wife, I can love this movie. Like, like that's just how good Inception well, is. Well, in, in, Inception has some emotion. It most definitely does. With his wife being like... Yeah, the wife stuff. Well, and to be fair, that's the stuff she liked. <laughs> she she, yeah, she, she loved that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She'll take any emotion she could get, baby. He's got a wife that's dying. Fuck it. She's in, you know? <laughs> she's all in. Exactly. Yeah. That's all you really need uh, to hook my wife. Uh, you need a dead wife to uh, get her going. But Inception's great. Uh, it's, it's a really great film. I don't know about you, Tristan. Uh, I don't know if this is just a me thing, Tristan. Whenever I stop watching Inception, like after a few months, I kind of always go, eh, is it overrated? Like, this is like one of the most over, like, hyped then movies ever. And then you, I know, and that's the thing. Every time I take a break from it for like six months, I go, is it that great? It's kind of just like an okay concept. It's not that mind blowing. And then you sit down and watch it every time I go, every time I rewatch it, I go, this is one of Nolan's best. This is so fucking like this is so fucking good. And every time it proves me wrong. So this is like the one. Every time I rewatch it, it's so fucking good because I keep underestimating it every time I fucking watch it. I don't know why this movie does that for me. Like The Dark Knight, I go into The Dark Knight and I go, yeah, this is one of the greatest films ever. And I watch it, go, yeah, that's one of the greatest films ever. Like you know, you, you have that expectation. Inception, I don't know why I always keep uh, underestimating it, but every time I'm like, eh. Is it that great? And then you watch it. It's just it mind bl- it blows your mind every fucking time. So this is a great film. I know it might seem like I'm a bit lower on it, but uh, great movie. I-, I agree with that. Jumping in on the pie guys here, uh, since we are talking about Inception here, and we're going to be talking about the next few, we have another Nolan fan here. You know, we got Tristan here holding the reins for his whole filmography, but we got a guy that has not one, but I believe two Nolan films in his top 10 of all time. And we're going to be talking about those right now. Of course, we are already in the middle of talking about Inception, but joining us on the call, we have our old Pop Topic co-host, Well Dog. How are you doing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, it might actually be three. I think The Dark Knight is on the fringe of my top 10. I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to check. I think there was a movie that might have bumped it out recently, but... Uh... But yeah, since we're on the topic of Inception, um, yeah, Quentin, you're cracked having it at five. It is, it is Nolan's masterpiece. Um, and I think, and and yeah, like like you said, you you go back and watch it after a break, and you just realize again, over and over again, how great of a masterpiece it is. But I'd like to point out this aspect. I have seen this movie time and time again. The rewatchability of this film is something that has never been created before in my personal opinion in the sense of it has enough in there so that if you go back and watch this film again i always tend to find something new that i didn't notice before some sort of new minor plot point and like a twist that i didn't realize something different that i just didn't clue in the first time without fail Every single time I watch this movie, there is something new I clue in on, and it—that's just the brilliance of it. I've never, I've never had a movie be that sort of impactful on me in regards to the rewatchability factor. It, it truly is a masterpiece. You know what you expect out of the other two movies that we'll talk about. I'm sure, maybe even a third movie. It depends. Yeah, Inception is by far Nolan's best, and Inception by far is one of my favorites. It's in my, it's either in my top three or my top five of all time. It's yeah, I think actually, Ronnie brings up a really great point here that I, uh, I'm surprised we haven't mentioned. 
how rewatchable a lot of Nolan films are, but particularly Inception here, as Welling points out. His movies are so dense, both visually and uh, dialogue-wise, so dialogue-heavy in some scenes, that uh, you typically don't pick up everything the first time you watch it until the second, third, or even multiple viewings for some of his films, like Inception, that are so dense visually and narratively. Uh, there's always something you pick up on in a rewatch. But I do think that also stark contrast to his movies that maybe don't hit as well as Inception or, you know, Memento or Dark Knight or other movies we're going to be talking about here shortly. Some of the Quentin said, like, rewatching Tenet or rewatching Prestige or Dark Knight Rises, maybe don't hit as well on rewatches. And that's where they feel so much subpar compared to his movies that do hit so well on rewatches, like Inception, like Memento, um, like Dark Knight, which I know we haven't talked about yet. Spoiler alert, still coming. Um, you know, movies that you can rewatch an infinite number of times and still gain something every t- new every time, every time you watch. There's something, mm. a line you picked up or a visual thing you didn't realize the first time around. And that's what really sets apart his top-tier movies from his, you know, only okay movies. I think it really sets him apart as a top-tier director in general, how rewatchable a lot of his films are because of how dense they are. Now, granted, I haven't seen a chunk of his movies, but has Christopher Nolan made a bad movie? No, like, none of his movies are below, like, a three- yeah, like, like every single major director you can think of, there's always been that one movie that's just kind of been, eh, that wasn't really that great. Christopher Nolan yeah. has hit home run after home run after home run after home run. This, this guy never, like, doesn't fail. Even his movies that aren't considered as great as his others, they're still perfectly watchable, entertaining, enjoy, like enjoyment-filled movies. Yeah, well, you know, clearly define the term home run, because I would not call Insomnia or Dark Knight Rises a home run, but he hasn't made it. I think Dark Knight Rises has been a home run. Insomnia, (laughs) I can see that. But, like, you know, they are good. They are a three out of five. So where did Inception rate overall in your list? Uh, Inception right now is at number three. Once it had a five, I had it at two. And so it's three overall. Okay, so I'm assuming there's... So I'm assuming... I don't want to spoil it. Um, well, Quinn, do you want to go ahead and say what the number two is overall? We can discuss that one. We can go into number two. Yeah, yeah, we already pretty much discussed everything for Inception. Uh, so coming in at number two, we have Christopher Nolan's newest film, the reason why we're all sitting here today, and that is Oppenheimer. Tristan has this at number three, and I have this at number two. I would and have it would at two. Of the, of the Nolan movies you've seen. I would have it at two behind Inception. Okay, hey, very fair, yeah, absolutely. We're all mostly in agreement about where we would put a uh, Oppenheimer. I had Inception mm-hmm. above it, that's why I have it at three there. Uh, I love Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, I thought, was incredible. I love biopics, I love Nolan films, and this is just the two of them put together. A, uh, a Nolan biopic, uh, his first biopic in this filmography, and he absolutely crushes it with the story of a uh, Robert Oppenheimer. It is Robert, right? That's the first name? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. yeah, it's J. Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, the father of the atomic bomb. Uh, I thought it was an incredible story, a devastating story at moments. Uh, once again, he loves playing with time, jumping back and forth through different parts. I love how he did the black and white scenes compared to the colored scenes. And, you know, the main timeline was colored. And as we saw caught up to the black and white scenes, they became colored as well. I love all that visual storytelling. Overall, I thought this was a, a spectacular film. What a spectacle. It was long. It felt, it run time, it felt its runtime. But I always have given biopics as the one genre. I give a bit of a free pass on runtimes because I know it can be hard to cover, you know, 30, 40 years of a historical figure's life in two hours. So I'm okay if they run a little long, and this one did, but it never felt slow or boring or felt like it dragged out. It felt like there's just always more story to tell, and he told it so well, and I really enjoyed it. 
I feel like I can I can disagree with you on one thing. Yeah. I didn't feel the runtime. Okay. This felt to me like it was a two hour movie. Because most three hour biopic kind of movies, there's parts where it just sludges on where you kinda yeah. have to get through with it. Oppenheimer, it was surprising to me how uh invested it made you get. It from the start, you're just going right off the bat and it's it's jumping from scene to scene, which I thought to start off, I thought maybe this won't work, jumping from different timeline to different timeline. But as it keeps itself together, it worked out perfectly. But back to my main point about the time, it, it blended together so well and had brilliant pace that this felt like a two, maybe two and a half hour movie. Because movies are typically long in runtime. But they're not slow. His films are never slow because of how fast-paced they are. There's always more to tell, even if they are two to three hours long. Uh, they're very fast-paced. They're still three hours, but they're quite fast. It never feels slow or like, can we hurry this up already? When are we get into the next part? Because right? it does come at you fast and quick. And uh, this, the visual of, a, uh, of Oppenheimer, I thought, was fantastic. We talk a lot about his color palettes. This one was, once again, a little more brown than maybe most people would like. But uh, I thought the visuals overall were fantastic. Uh, score once again great, and they have most all the acting performances I thought were fantastic. I heard, what do you think of Matt Dillon and uh, Matt Damon? Sorry, not Matt, Dillon, Matt Damon in this film because I heard his his uh, his casting was controversial at some parts. People didn't like his performance, but I, I thought look, I thought all the acting knocked it out of the ballpark. I had no issues with Matt Damon at all. Besides Heath Ledger's Joker, do we really have any Christopher Nolan movies where the acting is like highly touted as something? big and something that's worth Oscar bait. Because no. the, only, the, only, the only thing I can think of is Heath Ledger joke. Yeah, that's the only acting nom I think he's ever received for any film. Yeah, this, so, is something, this, yeah, this is something I've been saying to Tristan this whole podcast. Uh, the yeah. worst part about Christopher Nolan is the characters. Like, there's, just, there's no depth to the characters. There's also no depth to Joker, but that's literally the purpose of Joker, so that's yeah, the that's one exception. Yeah, because Joker's incredible. But I agree with you, Welling. Uh, this movie... Uh, this is the like this is Nolan breaking his shell. The performances are incredible. This is his magnum opus, and this this is the movie that is going to clean out the uh, the award season. Um, again, it's really early to call that, but this is the kind of movie that is your this is your one movie that defines you. This is Christopher Nolan's defining movie. His really, direction. His I direction. always thought Inception was that movie. I always thought Inception was his defining film. Even though, I guess I put Inception above this one. I like this one just as much as Inception. Really, I always thought Inception was his defining film. Do you believe this will become his new defining film? Inception yes. Was a creative sci- uh, sci- um, science fiction masterpiece. But when you talk about something that's highly rated, highly awarded, this is the kind of movie that does it. It's going to get nominated for best uh, best film of the year. It's going to get nominated for uh, Best Lead Actor, Best Supporting Actor. I would not be surprised if it got nominations for the lead and supporting in the female roles. It's going to get nominated for sound, score. It's going to get nominated for visuals. This is his his Oscar bait movie. And it's one of the best Oscar bait movies I've seen in quite a long time. I've been a huge fan of Cillian Murphy since I watched 28 Days Later. I loved him in the in the TV show uh, Peaky Blinders, but I've always felt this 
I've always felt this actor was destined to have a defining role. And by God, he is right now the favorite for the Oscar for Best Actor in this role. It was phenomenal. And so so is Robert Downey Jr. for Best Supporting Actor. He knocked it out of the ballpark. This was his career performance. I do just want to clarify, because you're saying this is the best Oscar Beatty film. I think this, I, I don't think just because it's a biopic, it means it's an Oscar Beatty film. I don't think this is Oscar Beatty at all. I think Nolan does some crazy stuff that the Oscars would not normally like if it didn't work. But I think because everything he does in this film really, really works, I, I think Welling's right. I think this has an incredible no, chance of winning Oscars. I mean, yeah, I yeah. absolutely do. I think this could sweep. I, I think this could win the whole thing. But I, I wouldn't call this an Oscar beat. I think he made risks that if they didn't work as well as they did, uh, this would this could be a zero knob. Like this isn't just some like Oscar Beatty is just okay. Let's get some faces people love. Let's put them in like a drama about romance or you know uh, historical biopics. Of course, are very Oscar Beatty. But like you know, it's not Cillian Murphy looking at us dreary eye the entire time. It's more like big monologues, uh, famous people just saying iconic things because we just love historical figures and biopics. But like this. This is a risk that he made, and I agree with you, Welling. I think this is his magnum opus. I, I don't think it's Inception. I completely agree with you. I have this at two, uh, just because I obviously have a bias towards Dark Knight because that's just a film that I grew up with, and you know, it's a masterpiece. You know, like, 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 what are you gonna say? Like, like you know, I, I just have a uh, fucking bias because you know it's my fucking childhood. I think this is his better movie. I think Oppenheimer is his best film. Dark Knight's my favorite. Oppenheimer is his movie. This has to be the film. Like, if he doesn't win an Oscar for this, he's never winning. Write that down. If he does not win an Oscar for this, he's never winning an Oscar. Guaranteed. This is the movie. This is the movie they're going to point at. And they're going to say this was his peak in filmmaking. Tristan Eastay has got a lot more on his plate ahead of him. I'm sure he does. He peaked. We are at the peak of Nolan right now. I couldn't believe what I was watching. This is the emotion. I think he's going to do it again. No. guy's incredible. No, no. Uh, I've seen Nolan's other works. He's great, but this was just lightning in a bottle. I couldn't believe what I was watching. And maybe it's because this is the first movie I saw from Nolan in IMAX. Maybe there's something to do with that. I just really think that he was able to do something he could have never done before, and that was capture the emotion. This film was devastating. That last hour was fucking crazy. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe Nolan could do something like this. I was more pumped for Barbie. I really was. And I walked out of that Barbenheimer, and I was a Nolan boy, baby. I couldn't fucking believe it. It was, it was incredible. Uh, th- this movie should sweep. Uh, I don't necessarily know if it will, because the Oscars aren't a big Nolan guy, but I wasn't a big Nolan guy before this either. Yeah, and no I, <laughs> yeah, this, you know, I, I agree. I think this is the time that the critics are going to go, you know what? fuck it give him the oscar this 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 is it like you know whenever we go to like something like jordan peele right and we go oh nope one of my favorite films of last year but you would never consider for oscars because it wasn't better than get out right like this that that didn't compete with his best right like if you want to award a director it's got to be up there with their best we got lady we got uh sorry we got greta gerwig she made little woman that was nominated that was a beloved movie Nobody thought it was better than Lady Bird, right? Like, nobody, like, you know, you don't want to compare the director's films to their best. But when you're looking at Best Picture, when you're looking at Oscars, you can't help it as a voter and go, well, 
that is a good movie, but like they've made better movies before and they can make a better movie again, right? Like we'll we'll award them when they make we know they can do better, right? Like you can't help but have that stigma. No one can't do better. This is no one's fucking best. Like they're gonna look at this film and go, he did it. He finally made a film better than Inception or Dark Knight. And of course people think some of those are better. I think Dark Knight's better. But I think this is the best movie. One of those are better than Oppenheimer. Yeah, but like again, you're absolutely correct, Quentin. I have Inception above Oppenheimer simply because it was a like a staplehood from my young adult, like my teens and my young adult. It is a movie that is way more enjoyable to watch. Yeah, but on a on a spectrum of his best movie, this is his best movie. And I agree with you. It is going to be insanely hard to top this. He's going to have to make a once in a decade kind of movie to top. This is his once in a decade. This is his. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, this is his once in a decade. This is. I look. I fully. I think this is his best made movie to date. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Prefer when you take into account like performances and acting and everything, because as we've already discussed, typically movies don't have very much emotional stake in them compared to a lot of other directors. Um, and this one was definitely has all the emotional stake in it. I put this one third because there are two other movies I feel are just more inherently more rewatchable. You know what I mean? I, I, I watch both Inception and Dark Knight repeatedly, particularly The Dark Knight. I don't know how many times I'm ever really going to watch Oppenheimer. I'm for sure going to watch it again. I might watch it two more times in my lifetime, but that'd probably be it. Even though I do agree this is his best made film. This movie's incredible. That being said, he can do it again. He can make a better one. I have faith in Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. As a director, as an artist, I, I, I absolutely do believe this will not be his best work at the end of his career. Listen, if he does it, the power to him, that's just that's a plus for everyone that goes and sees his movies. But it will be it it will be one of the it might if he were to make a movie that were to top Oppenheimer as his best movie, it would be one of the best one two movie punches in the history of cinema. Well, as long as this is the next film. It might be, like, it's, you know, five films from now, You know what I mean? I don't say, well, it's not going to say the next film is going to be well, better than Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer was so good. If he makes a movie that's better than Oppenheimer, look at all the directors that have made brilliant movies. Give me a director that has made two decade-defining movies that you would consider to be better than Oppenheimer and what you might consider would be his best project. I most definitely would consider The Dark Knight a decade-defining movie, if not a genre-defining movie. I but, would for okay. sure put Dark Knight in there. But so I do think he already has two. I think he already has two in his understanding. But here's the thing about The Dark Knight, and respect to Heath Ledger. All respect to Heath Ledger, all respect to The Dark Knight. Dark Knight is a fantastic movie. Yep. I think the circumstances surrounding The Dark Knight in regards to Heath Ledger and what happened to him during the filming of this movie and after the filming, after the release of this movie, that inflates it to a whole different level. I think, respect to Heath Ledger again, and rest in peace to him, but if what happened to him didn't happen to him, I don't think The Dark Knight would be considered a decade-defining movie. I disagree. I just I push back on. That. Yeah, that's a crazy really take. Is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I actually think what happened to Heath Ledger actually hurts the legacy of the film more. Because now I do believe it's mostly remembered as Heath Ledger's, you know, last dance. His incredible performance, right? A, a lifetime defining performance that unfortunately did take. And he gets all, he deserves all the respect he gets and he gets all the respect for that. It is an incredible performance. However, 
it's not the only phenomenal thing in the movie. Everything else in that movie is spectacular. Aaron Eckhart's performance as Harvey Dent, the scripting, the editing, the soundtrack, everything in that movie is absolute top-notch. Everyone who worked on that film brought their absolute A-game to it, from the directing to the writing to the acting, the costume work, everything in that movie is so spectacular. But it's defined by one performance and one life cut too short. And exactly. that performance is incredible. But that's now become the legacy of the film, when the legacy of the film should be the fact that it's one of the greatest movies ever. I and I think if that didn't happen, the legacy of the movie would be different, but it would still be just as as big in cinema today. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reel this conversation back to Oppenheimer. <laughs> we can go back to Dark Knight soon, but we should talk a bit more about Oppenheimer here. What were scenes or stuff about the film that worked for you guys in regards to his newest film? Most of it worked absolutely incredibly. I think the Trinity test scene, which I was expecting to be the climax of the film, is sort of kind of the climax of the film, not really. Uh, I thought was done spectacularly well. When the bomb goes off, and I was expecting, I was ready to pop one in hand, ready for a big pow, and all there was was silence. Nothing. You saw the world get destroyed before your eyes, and there was silence. Yeah. I thought that was spectacular. Yeah. Josh Peck really dropped the bomb on him. Yeah. Yeah, the Trinity test is incredible. It's so good. It is. It really is. Um, yeah, the, the, sound, the sound design, specifically in that scene, yeah. top level, top tier. Just every, every scene in this movie really hits like a cannon. When you talk about the scenes with Oppenheimer, when you talk about the scenes with Oppenheimer's wife, they do a lot of focus on her and a lot of her mental stability in a lot of sections of this movie, and just so much of it hits. Yeah, her uh, scene it, when she's getting interrogated, that, oh, that was probably the climax of the movie. That was probably, that was insane. That, that was fantastic. That, that was a, unreal. It's like, that, it's like that just sudden centering of emotion and just flat railing it. Yeah, Nolan's also famously, like, absolutely atrocious at writing women characters. Like, they're all just <laughs> absolutely horrible. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and in this movie, they're horrible, too. However... It's well through the point of view of Oppenheimer. So, you know, the fact that he's like a misogynistic and, you know, he he doesn't see them as equals to him, it makes sense that the way that they are speaking to him is through his perception, so it's more dull. It's not as complex or interesting as the male characters in the film. So, you know, I it's kind of like Nolan almost got like a bit of a, a little uh, get-out-of-jail-free card there. He's like, yeah, I'm terrible at writing women, but like... You know, it's through Oppenheimer's perspective, so uh, fuck them, right? And it's almost like, you know what? It kind of works in this movie. You kind of like really got away with it. character, and how she was like the one woman who was smart, right? And he did respect her, but he couldn't be with her because he knew being with her would be career suicide. She's a communist, and back then you'd be written off entirely if you were associated with communists. I thought her character was incredible. I really, I didn't know she was in the movie until I started watching. I really enjoyed her. I realized that Oppenheimer's wife was Emily Blunt until about halfway through the movie. I'm just like, is that Emily Blunt? Oh my god. <laughs> no, that was me with Robert Downey Jr. Like, it took two scenes. Like, wait, that's Robert Downey Jr. Just how different he looked and how well he was doing it. I thought he didn't look anything like Robert Downey Jr. I thought he was incredible. Oh, exactly. like three years ago, we saw him as Iron Man, and then we see him as this. Like, what the fuck? Did he just age 20 years? <laughs> Yeah. He was so good. Honestly, the fact that he was just doing MCU for like 15 years made me actually start to question if he was a good actor or not, and then he proved me wrong. He was so No, he's a good actor. actor. Yeah, absolutely. My god, he was electric. This was a long break between Tropic Thunder and this. <laughs> yeah, he's come a long way since Tropic Thunder. Yeah. 
And honestly, uh, the training test was great, but there's like two scenes better than that. Like that's the third best scene of the film for me personally. Like I absolutely. Are you talking about the scene when the when he was celebrating in the uh, and they're all cheering for him? Absolutely, everyone's cheering. Easily the best scene of the movie. That scene is the like that's that's the emotion you want in a Nolan movie. Like that is groundbreaking. It's so terrifying. It's truly like when nolan said in interviews that this is his horror film you got it in that scene like that is that is his horror shot all right like he does not do horror in any of his films but it's all over that scene it's terrifying and that's exactly what you want for a scene after the aftermath of what happened with the bomb right you needed a scene like that he created the most powerful weapon the world's ever seen he killed more people in a single day than anyone else ever has and they're cheering for him yeah that's insane it's crazy crazy you know it's really good uh, and then the third scene that i just absolutely love is just the final scene yeah. just the revelation obviously with einstein uh and i guess we never did do a non-spoiler section because welling was here and just jumped right into it yeah everyone listening they, they've already seen oppenheimer if they're already two hours deep into uh nolan podcast but the the final shot uh where You've seen this scene multiple times, right? Oppenheimer's talking to Einstein, but you don't know what they're talking about. And obviously through the delusion of Robert Downey Jr.'s character, we think maybe it's about him. Einstein looks pissed at him. You don't know what it's about. This is the crux of the entire story. This one conversation that probably didn't even happen in real life. This is just Nolan creating a beautiful story around a made-up conversation. That's the crux of everything, and it works beautifully. And then when you get to the moment, and you're like, what is it they talked about? Did they talk about Robert Downey Jr.? Did Oppenheimer turn him against people? Like, what's going on? And it's just Oppenheimer saying, hey, Einstein, right before he's about to walk away and go, remember that moment you told me that the, like, you know, like the earth is going to crumble at my very hands? We're at that moment. And you just see it in his eyes, and it just cuts to black. Like, that's just the score, the editing. Everything about that scene is perfect. It's genuinely perfect. It's really, really good stuff. And then they throw in the toss-up of the world just being blown up. Yeah, it's uh, it's an incredible movie. Uh, well, was there anything else about the movie that you liked? I, I feel like I feel you're like quiet. I've just rattled, I feel like I've just rattled on about this movie for so much. Yeah, this this is this is his movie, and I know, and I know Tristan has a belief that he's going to make something better. But I have faith this, in my boy. He's one of the this, greatest strikers alive. He's going to prove it time and time again. This is his movie. This was his song swan. This was his creative direction. This was that staple. This was his this is my moment movie. And he killed it. But it's not his best movie, Quentin. What is his best movie? I think Oppenheimer's his best movie, but my favorite movie, and the movie we have at number one, is of course the, the film. Yeah, <laughs> the film that Tristan and I put at number one. Not the greatest film of all time, but the greatest Absolutely. one on this list. And we have The Dark Knight. God, I love this movie. It's so good. <laughs> it's for, the, for, the, for, the, for the record, I would have put it at three. <laughs> but yeah, I figured you would have put it at three. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I love Dark. I'm a big Batman, big Nolan fan. This movie's perfect. It knocks everything in the Batman universe out of the park. It does it all perfect. The best Two-Face story, best Joker story, best Batman movie, 
Christopher Nolan's editing style is thrown all throughout the film. Fast pace, great plot, great characters. Everything in this movie's perfect. I've seen it like probably at least twenty some odd times, and I'll probably at least twenty some odd times before I die. I freaking love this one. I watch it at least once a year. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, I've only seen Batman Begins once, but I've uh, but I've seen The Dark Knight like time and time again. I don't watch the trilogy. I watch no. The Dark Knight. Me too. I've rewatched the trilogy a couple times, but I rewatched the Dark. This movie was phenomenal. And, you know, of course, the main anchor of it was Heath Ledger. I think Heath, Le- Heath Ledger's performance as Joker has the case to be one of the best acting performances of all time. It's up there for sure. It's an incredible. Like, it can, can, you, can you give me an acting performance that you can confidently say is better than Heath Ledger's Joker? I'm sure Quentin has some opinions on that. I can't. I think. I think. I, I agree with you completely. I think it is a performance of all time, mind you. I do think Aaron Eckhart's performance as Two Face gets over overshadowed because of how great Heath Ledger is. Because he was incredible as Two Face. I love his performance in this movie. Yeah, another great actor that hasn't really done much since then. But yeah, his performance was really good as well. Quentin has gone extremely quiet. I, I'm. I'm. He might be loading up with something. I'm not. No, I was probably talking to Andrea. I don't know what he's doing. He's gone. God damn it, Andrea, this is time for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm listening. Uh, no, you guys just asked what the best performance of all time were, so I was just quickly pulling up like a list of my favorite performances. Um, I, and Heath, you realize Heath Ledger's number one? <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I, like, I don't think Heath Ledger's number one, but this is easily the only performance from Christopher Nolan that would be in my top ten. Uh, it would actually probably be the only performance in a comic book movie in my top 10, uh, like not even a question, like like his performance, no doubt, is one of the greatest performances of all time. I'm not saying it's yeah, not. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the best. Uh, like, there's some that I just personally like more because you personally connect with them more. Joker's in- intentionally isolating uh, and he is probably my third favorite villain of all time, like ever in film. And ironically how enough- How is he not number one? How can he not- like? A better villain than freaking Heath Ledger. Well, it's literally uh, best best supporting actor three years in a row for the Oscars, back to back to back. We had the three greatest villains of all time in film. It's it's absolutely insane that we had that. Um, so, and, the guy from No Country for Old Men, Heath Ledger, Joker. And the other one, uh, and then the villain in Inglorious Bastards. Oh yeah, he did good. Yeah, yeah like maybe not Heath Ledger, but he did good. Like what a what a trio! I can't that believe three years amazing. in a row. I can't believe that happened three years in a row. It's it's absolutely oh. insane. See, we oh, used to get good villains. Insane. What happened to good Hollywood villains? I I can't believe we had that three years in a row. And now now what we do? Now what do we get? A bomb? Yeah. Come on. Yeah, that's the villain. I forgot about that. Inglorious Bastards is my favorite Tarantino movie. Me too. I yeah, love that performance. That's my favorite too. And to be fair though, I've only seen four Tarantino movies. I'm saving it for. I'm intentionally. No, I'm intentionally waiting for the Tarantino podcast because I know it's going to happen in like a year or two, so I might as well just wait. But yeah, yeah, he does have he does have one more movie coming out. So yeah, exactly, there's and there's I was going to do Apply Guys four once upon a time in Hollywood, but he's literally going to have one more, and that's it. I might as well just wait until then. But isn't he doing Kill Bill Volume three now, which wouldn't count as a film, or was that just rumors? There's no Kill Bill Volume three. Yeah, that's I definitely rumors. Want to make Kill Bill Volume three? Ah. Maybe. I, I don't think so. I think he has one movie left. I believe it's called The Critic. Is that right? He constantly stated over and over again that he's making one more movie. 
Yeah, and I think Which it's he the said from the beginning he's only doing ten. Yeah. And I respect that. That's fucking awesome. I respect him and I think he's telling the truth. But he I, I could see him doing like a third of Kill Bill and it's all part of the count. Because he did that with Kill Bill Volume Two, right? Like he has like eleven movies total already if you count like the sequels or whatever. It's a connected universe where all of his movies bring in one Kill Bill Volume Three. Kill oh, all man. If, characters. If he makes a Tarantino-connected universe, I mean... I would be so out. It's not even funny. No, man. If Tarantino did it, though, he did it right. He would do it. He would have screwed that up. <laughs> no, I'm okay. I'd almost be like a satire comedy. The closest... Yeah, yeah. There'd be so much feet and blood. The closest I would want to that is if, if like, the, the movie's called The Critic. If it's, like... If, like, you just see posters of his other movies, like, on the wall or something. Like, that's the only exception I would take. Is if, like... The critics, the real world, and these are all movies that exist in the world. That, that's as far as I would go. If I see, if I see fucking Brad Pitt from Inglorious Bastards talking to some critic in the film, I'm fucking out so hard. What if you saw Brad Pitt from Inglorious Bastards talking to Brad Pitt from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Then I'm in. Exactly. <laughs> but anyways, I don't know why we suddenly turned to Quentin Tarantino here. Um, yeah, uh, you know, Dark Knight's great. I love this movie. I, I, I obviously think Oppenheimer is, is like his best made film because I do have issues with Dark Knight. I just choose to ignore them because I love the movie so much. It is just so connected. Wait, what issue? There, there aren't any issues with Dark Knight. <laughs> That's a joke. I understand. Issues, yeah. yeah. Rachel, is that her name? Yeah, Rachel Dawes. I don't, she's not great. I don't really like her character that much. Uh, I'm glad she died. I'll, I'll I'll go as far to say that she she gets worse the more you watch the movie. She you know when you're a kid really? when you're a kid you're like yeah let's go we got a cute girl on screen but like you know like I said Nolan's not the best at writing characters. Her character is just so is it's just a guy writing what he thinks is admire like a, a guy like batman would like like i don't know it's just i don't really like her character i think the movie doesn't look great uh it's just blues and grays like it's just with a lot of his other nolan films and then well, the Quincy, it's very dark but i don't know if you've noticed that's in the title <laughs> that's true if it was called the bright night then uh, i would have more yeah, of an issue have yeah, but, yeah, that's true that's a good point uh and then uh, the third thing that i and, and really the biggest thing uh is i think the third act loses so much steam like what? it's i love the ending i think the ending uh, is incredible. well the, the ending ending with two face is great but yes. like oh, our, oh. About, like, the, okay i agree the, yeah the, the joker's final stand yeah that the ending of the joker all, yeah the ending of the joker is a huge letdown two face and jim gordon that's and great batman at the end incredible that last 20 minutes is spectacular I, agree. I always felt the, the joker's demise yeah a little lackluster Huge, hugely lackluster like it, it's a really it's the only part of the movie that's really like oh my god like full stop let's just take a break uh joker gets taken we got the two fairy scenes that take it's, it's like a 30 minute sequence of like the fairies and the joker and like all this stuff that feels so much less exciting compared to the car chasing that we had with the joker the interrogation scene we have with the Joker, the two-face sequence at the end, like, we have some insane sequences that obviously make this one of the greatest movies of all time, I would say. Like, like I do think this is one of the greatest, uh, even though I think it's relatively flawed, and easily the best live-action superhero movie. I would say best superhero movie, but Spider-Man, you know, Into the Spider-Verse is, is better in my opinion. But this is easily the best live-action superhero film 
This is one of the best action films. I'm not a huge action guy. This film has some of the coolest action sequences. The car chase scene, I actually think I like more and more every time I watch it. I think when I was a kid, I was more of a fan of the fairy scene with the Joker. I was like, oh yeah, I liked the moral dilemma of the criminals and the civilians. And nowadays I'm like, fuck that boring shit. Like, let's get on with the car race, baby. Like, that's way fucking cooler. It's when so well done. Bazooka, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, and honestly, like, I really think the joker had such he ended on such a whimper because man when he's yelling on the street kill me kill me like that's the that's the peak of the joker yeah. honestly the, after that the joker is okay but w- like that is when you get to that scene you go yeah we're, we're witnessing the greatest villain of film like, like this is so good it's, it's so good we don't have a lot of joker after that scene there's mostly just the fairy scene at the and I don't know for sure, but I do think the reason why there's not a lot of joker after that and why the joker isn't even in that third act too much Unfortunately, I do think they lost Heath Ledger before they lost him before they went filming. So I do believe that could most definitely. No, 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 no. No, that's not true. Am I wrong? This movie was fully made. Uh, I, I believe the movie came out before he died. Did it well, not? I'd have, I'd have, no, 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 no. It definitely didn't come out yet. It didn't come I'd out have, for sure. I, I would have to do. I'd have to do my background research on this. I think. I think it finished filming. Yeah, 100% finished filming. Like, then, I, the movie then, was and done. And he passed away, and then the movie released. Actors nowadays, inspiring actors, they look at Heath Ledger's Joker, and they look on the prep work on what he did to become the Joker and play that part. That is their centerfold in how you should prepare for a role no. in, a, in a big budget <laughs> Not probably you should prepare Hollywood for movie. I think well, the, the I... preparation for it is the, uh, the you know. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, okay. yeah, take that let, back, Willie. You're going to get let canceled. Me, let me clarify myself. Yeah. <laughs> he did everything he needed to do in the highest extreme to become that character. I'm not saying that you could go to the confines that he did to become the Joker, but if you get casted for a movie role, I'm not even saying a villain, a hero, a minor role, whatever it is, you should find that creative centerfold that turns you into that character. We've heard about it all the time. The best character actors really become their character. And I think Heath Ledger is a a model point on how to do that. I strongly disagree. I think method acting, I think he's really the only good example. I, I think... It's not, it's not even dangerous. I, I actually just think it's just an excuse for people to be an asshole. Like, I think people are like, oh, I'm playing a really evil person. I'm just going to be a fucking dick on set. Like, there's so many actors that I've heard on set that people were just miserable being around because they're method acting. There's so many incredible performances. And really, the only incredible performance that came from method acting, I would say, was from this performance, which is obviously incredible. And I think it's actually the reason why so many actors are like, oh, I guess I should method act, and they just act like an asshole on set. I think it's a horrible lesson that people should be taken away from it. He's just that good of an actor. No one is like Heath Ledger. No one could do that. I I think he's the only person that could really take that horrible character and bring that out of it. And I I don't think anybody should take that away. Like I, I think it's brought out the worst in some performances, actually. Like Jared Leto has uh, famously done that in all of his movies, a Morbius, a Suicide, or sorry, a Suicide Squad. He's famously not a very good actor. Okay, okay. 
Harrison Ford is a very is very well known to be a method actor. And he's yeah. come out with some amazing performance. Yeah. Oh yeah. Harrison Ford has been documented as being not very well liked on the set because of his True. rough nature. But that's just how he method acts and he kills his performances most of the time. It's something that at least should be studied on. It's something that if you're an up and up and coming inspiring actor, it's something that you should at least look at as something. If I want to get my big break role, it's something that I should look into. His performance is being studied in a lot of films. I think a lot of acting students and film students most definitely study his legend performance. He's a unicorn to the rule. I say don't look into it. I don't think Method Act is doing anyone any favors. But I do think Method Acting, uh, I don't want to say it's overrated. Um, it's very overrated. Yeah, it's probably, it's a little. It's this is the go-to because people do study this performance because it is that good. Uh, there's I, no denying that, uh, and I think people probably take that away as go, oh, it's because he method acted. But I think the real reason is Heath Ledger is just that fucking good. Like, I think that, yeah, <laughs> like, that's what people need to take away from. He's just that fucking good. Uh, Heath Ledger, incredible. I've seen so many films with him now since that. That was obviously the first film I've seen with Heath Ledger when I was a kid. But now he's incredible in every movie he does he's a really good actor and it's a shame we lost him so early because he is probably he was probably going to become one of the greatest actors of all time he was pretty much there already and who knows what he could have done you you mean to tell me you watch 10 things i hate about you and we're like oh yeah he's ledger you're fucking incredible he's incredible 10 things i hate about you are you kidding me (laughs) he's actually so good in that movie have you seen that movie Wally? i haven't seen it since like high school oh dude dude you should rewatch it He's the reason why it's like one of the best rom coms ever. No, he's really fucking good. He's so fun I don't in that know movie. I've ever actually seen that movie. I don't think I've ever seen the whole No, he's he's so much fun. Uh he he's electric. Fuck yeah. Let, let's do like top ten uh rom coms of all time. Ten things I hate about you is up there. Let's go. Let's dig into that list. I don't think it would fall in there, not gonna lie. I'm a big crazy stupid love fan myself. Oh, that, that's that wouldn't even crack my top fifty. That movie is so overrated. I'm big. I'm a big don't like crazy stupid love. <laughs> oh, dude, I got find me a podcast where I can talk about that one, Tristan. I got a lot to say about that movie. Oh my god, I don't even. Oh, I, I would throw I would throw Juno in there, and I would throw Knocked Up in there. Knocked Up's too long, but Juno's good. Yeah, Knocked Up. I found a lot of those Judd Apatow movies just too long. Like, yeah, forty old version. Knocked. They don't need two hours. The first hour Knocked Up's good. Yeah. yeah, it's good. It has a really good moment, for sure. Juno's good. Yeah, Juno's, Juno's fun. All right. Is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about for Nolan? Oh, well, was there any of the movies that you wished you could speak before you had jumped in at the final right. three? Right. So, where was Interstellar ranked? Uh, that was at four? Five. Five. Okay, so what was, what was number four, then? Memento. Yeah, I haven't seen Memento yet. You gotta yeah. watch it. I, I yeah, it it is on my list to watch, but I just watched Interstellar this week, and I that movie was it was incredible to me how quickly it turned around for me, because it started out as this whole folk country <laughs> like fucking farmer out in the middle of fucking Arkansas boring nonsense, and then it just completely did a one eighty on. I love also, it because I, I like the movie, but Quentin said the exact opposite. I know that's why I'm laughing. <laughs> the beginning and the last half sucked. He was the exact opposite. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I said the last half 
is like inception level like it's really really right. good but the first right. hour is like the heart it's so good so yeah i just thought oh, that was okay. really funny. it's where you build the characters but like if i'm watching a nolan movie i'm not watching a farm boy it's, drama exactly <laughs> you're not there for the, the characters anyways Quentin. i'm there for the time warping right well he's not a big farm boy guy also also, also i love the surprise matt damon I love how nobody knew that Matt Damon was in this movie until the movie came out. Matt Damon was weird in that movie. I remember Matt Damon was in it. He's not very good. Exactly. He was in it. Like, I watched Interstellar this week, and I can't believe it took me nine years to watch that movie. Maybe because I just don't like Matthew McConaughey and his... uh, (laughs) Dude, that's who it is, Tristan. Tristan. Well, yeah, it wasn't Christian (laughs) Bale. We called him Christian. I think it was Christian Bale. (laughs) Matthew McConaughey? Quentin, who the lead guy was. He's a Christian Bale. I was like, okay. Christian Bale. McConaughey makes way more sense. They're both white was, guys that are overrated. Eh, it checks was, out. Eh, I'm on my farm. Eh, honestly? I was with NASA. Eh, honestly, Wally's reminded me why I like the movie. Matthew McConaughey was fucking great in it. He, Christian Bale would have been worse. Matthew McConaughey really pulls the farm boy thing. I am not a Matthew McConaughey fan, but that's just me. But, like, for Matthew McConaughey movies, this movie was awesome. Also explains why Andrea thinks this is the best Nolan movie ever, because she loves Matthew McConaughey. Anyways, that's everything for Christopher Nolan. Uh, We will see if he ever does have another peak like Oppenheimer, like Tristan says. Uh, But if not, at least we are ending on a high here. So have a fantastic day, guys.